the store, put the lock on the door. Just get away where your worries won't find you. If you like, well, I'll tell you more. Don't let the day get the better of you. When the evening comes, there's so much to do. You better put on your best and wear a smile. Just come along with me a while, cause I tell you, I'm sure you'll be tapping your feet because the beat is the greatest there. All around there are girls and boys. It's a swinging place. A telephone noise has got an atmosphere of its own somehow. You gotta come along right now, cause I tell you. Well, hi everybody, welcome to Stratosphere Lounge, uh, coming to you live on Twitch and YouTube at the same time, which is something that most six or seven year olds could have figured out relatively well, quickly. Hi everybody, See, now I thought I fixed that. But in any event, uh, you know, one little step at a time. Um, so uh, it's good to be here uh, to both of you, and uh, we'll see if we get, um, you know, 
hellfire rained on us from above because of uh, because of running those uh, those awesome uh, pre-roll musics, especially our theme song, which is uh, I Know a Place by uh, Petunia Clark, which I'm sure is uh, not uh, not allowed. So anyway, here's what I've done. I've set up a separate recorder. We should be uh, a lot better in terms of skipping frames because we're only going out through one broadcast system now. We're going to both places, so hopefully that'll work better than running two broadcasters at the same time. But I'm recording on the second one, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to post the recorded version as usual uh, for the uh, BillWhittle.com uh, fans on the uh, BillWhittle.com page, and that will not have the recorded stuff on it, so maybe we'll get away with it. If not, then we will have to think of something else. Anyway, um, it's great to uh, to be here and uh, great to talk to all of you again. It's good to be here and great to talk to all of you again. See, this is what happens when you run two channels at the same time. So we're going to spend a lot of time on questions tonight um, because I'm well overdue from doing that. I got a lot of sleep, which I badly needed. And then uh, there's a couple other things that I badly need. I thought I'd talk to you guys about that. We have some first-time uh, listeners live who've been long-time viewers. Hello. Um, so uh, anyway, here's um, here's here's the, the issue, really, I think. Just tonight's issue. It's not like the issue. Although it might be the issue. Um, things are uh, changing out there very, very quickly, and I think we all know it. Uh, we uh, Natasha had a friend visiting from Italy who came up from um, LAX just, uh, just today. And... Um, and he talked about what it was like to, you know, drive through uh, parts of L.A. and then, uh, you know, come up to where I live and how uh, how awful a lot of the city was and just the things he saw with the homeless and stuff. And and uh, and I said, yeah, you got to drive through Mogadishu to get to our neighborhood. Uh, however, um, on Instapunnet a couple of days ago, I saw. Um, I saw a link to an article to a to a video called "It's Like an Insane Asylum Here," and it was talking about a guy, an, a number of business owners who have to deal with homeless people, who are camped out outside their building, who uh, defecate in the street into plastic bags, and then throw their plastic bags on this guy's car because he asked him to move, uh, and also people who are issuing death threats and running around and sleeping outside. You know, this guy's uh, his uh, restaurant, other businesses. All of this stuff, which would be just another story of life during wartime here, except that the city in question was uh, Sherman Oaks, and that's where I live. Uh, it was on um, Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks. I don't think I'm giving away any uh, classified information by saying that's where the Daily Wire office used to be, on Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks. And um, my discussions with Jeremy was that the the reason, the main reason he left it was I'm sure it was just inevitable, but it wasn't the political climate or anything else it was that his people couldn't come to work in the in the uh in the morning because there would be naked homeless people in his doorway and uh and people taking a swim and not just a swim in his personal swimming pool which would be enough to drive a person right out of this state now it's um fortunately i'm well well away from that area i must be at least a half a mile away uh, and I know this is going to start another flurry of, um, uh, of, you know, what am I still doing here? And, and that gets to be a, a more, 
uh, unanswerable question on a daily basis, but that's not what I wanted to talk about to start with. The business owner and the people featured in this story, like Daily Wire and everybody else who has to you know, try to run a business in this in this city, let alone this state, um, called the police and the police said, there's nothing we can do. Why is that? Now, when I, In order to really appreciate this, you really need to see the video, but I'm talking about people who are, number one, who are barking mad. I mean, there's no question. These aren't people who are upset or barking mad lunatics. And other people who are so honestly just so diseased. There's one one guy sitting there who's scratching his elbow, uh, his uh, ankles repeatedly so much that they had to blur it out, you know. And he's just sitting there in a in a pile of uh, feces. So um, it makes you wonder wh why is this going on? And this is kind of the issue I want to deal with tonight, and also want to talk about how we can how I can be more effective about fighting back against this stuff. Uh, to their credit, the, the the news station that was doing the story, remember news stations? Every time I see anything now that's any kind of news at all that has got somebody between me and the news, like, you know, uh, well, our Channel 6 news team is on the scene. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in hearing anybody else's interpretation. I want I want to see, I want the footage, cut to the footage. But this, this reporter uh, did two things that I thought were interesting. One of them was, um, and by the way, they're not homeless people. They're, um, they're unhoused. Uh, individuals or whatever the new term is, the ter term of the week. That reporter did two things that were interesting. First of all, she went up to every single one of the people in question and and she asked them, do you need help? Do you need medical help? Do you need housing help? Do you need help? Uh, food? Do you need help? Do you need help? Do you need help? All of this stuff. Hey, everybody who's saying hi live, it's great to see everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been doing this live on, uh, on on Twitch. I know I just interrupted my story, but I don't want to ignore these people. A bunch of comments here. And tonight's an off night. We were supposed to do it Thursday nights, and I just got tied up last night. Anyway, so this reporter uh, asked them if they all needed help, and and they, she got varying degrees of F.U. It wasn't even like a nice no thank you. It was varying degrees of F.U. Um, okay. The second thing that she did was she called the congressperson for this district, a young woman of East Indian extraction, if I remember correctly, and she couldn't reach him. Uh, no answers on the phone, no answers from the email, just like all the business owners who'd complained to their congressman, you know, redress of the government, you know how that stuff used to work back in the day. Um, nothing. Nobody would answer. So to her undying credit, uh, yeah, let's see, we're getting some skipping on Twitch here. I don't know what we can do about that. I'll, I'll, I'll check into the um, settings and maybe I can lower the, the quality of the video. Not that that's going to change anything in terms of the quality of the video. Uh, but to her, to her undying credit, this reporter caught up with the congresswoman at a different event at like a picnic where she was being glorified or something and started asking her, what, what about these people? I, we were there. We have the footage of, of people bagging their feces and throwing it on the car of the guy who runs uh, the, the, the Blue Dog Tavern, which I have spent many a fine night in, which I liked very much. I haven't been there in quite a while, but I love that place. It's right across the street from where I used to live. I mean, right across the street. And, um, and she said, well, you know, it's a very sensitive issue. It's a very delicate issue. A lot of, a lot of human issues here involve a lot of things like this. And I'm thinking, it's not. No, it's not. 
I know it's not. You know it's not. The reporter knows it's not. The, the, the business owner knows it's not. And the homeless person knows it's not. Right? So it's not. So what's going on? Why are the, why are the, the, the cities in America intentionally being destroyed? Because there's no question it's intentional. When you call the police and the police say, we cannot help you, they don't even come down and look at it, right? It, it's not like they come and say, hey, you know what? They're not breaking any laws. There's nothing I can do. They, they on the phone, they, we get, what's, what's the problem? I've got a homeless guy outside my building and he's raving and he's got a knife or whatever. Maybe not the knife part, but he's raving and screaming and he's threatening people. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. What's that all about? What does that mean? What, what, what's different? This is where I'm going. What's different? When things used to work, things happen one way. Now they don't. Things are getting worse every day and everybody knows it. So what's changed? What's different? And what's different is the laws aren't different. The police aren't different. To some degree, not even the politicians are any different with minimal exception. That is the explanation, I think. I mentioned this a, a couple times before on the federal level, and then I mentioned it on the state level, and it's true on the local level. And this is something that if it's the only thing you ever take away from me going forward in the future, this would be the thing to remember. Without, without a free press to investigate these things, then you are reduced to one single thing, and that is this. Whoever controls prosecutional Discretion controls society, period. If on the federal level, the head of the FBI can spend 45 minutes indicting Hillary Clinton and list all of the felonies that she committed and then say, we don't think anybody, any uh, rational prosecutor would take the case, which gives the fig leaf to the attorney general to not prosecute, then it doesn't matter what laws there are against uh, violation of security, taking home documents, treason, all that. None of that matters. The laws can be there. It doesn't matter. If the, if the prosecutor declines to, to take action, then you can do whatever you want to. And that's up to and including murder, right? Up, up to and including murder. If the attorney general or the, or, the, uh, or the district attorney or the city attorney or whoever, if they, whomever, if they decide that they don't want to take that case, then it doesn't matter what the law is, and it doesn't matter how people voted. All that matters is how they voted for city attorney, district attorney, attorney general. And it's not a mystery to say that George Soros has spent a lot of money on this because George Soros, George Soros understood this well before I did and well before uh, I think any of us did. You don't have to win the entire congressional district. You don't have to win anything in the state. You could have a state that is 100% solid red consisting of Charlton Heston and John Wayne's from here to the horizon. And if you can get through subterfuge or whatever manner, a, a district attorney or, or a chief law enforcement officer, if you can own that position, then it doesn't matter whether your congressmen are in favor or against laws. It doesn't matter if your senators are. It doesn't matter if the president is. None of it matters. All that matters is, do I have the ability to control whether or not a law is enforced, yes or no? And this is the thing that we all need to really wake up and understand, right? We think, oh, it's about, it's about Congress. Are we going to retake the Congress? Are we going to retake the Senate? Are we, will we recapture the presidency? Let's just say that we did all of those things. Let's just say that we did all of those things. 
if we did those things and did not recover the Justice Department, the Attorney General's office, and then on the state and local levels, nothing would change. And if the politicians that we elect don't do anything about this, then we're screwed. So several months ago now, I don't know what it has been, quite a while now, there was a recall election for Gavin Newsom, and I was quite sure he'd be recalled. Oh, Bill, you sweet summer child. Uh, I was quite sure he was going to be recalled because of the lockdowns, because of, of, the, of the number of businesses that he personally destroyed while he was at the French restaurant sitting there with, you know, with his big donors. I thought that the photographic image of Gavin Newsom at the absolute peak of the pandemic, shoulder to shoulder with medical officials, by the way, those who were the donors were at the, at the French Laundry, shoulder to shoulder with doctors in there, inside, with no, no masks on, I thought that was fatal, that that was a fatal, fatal photograph and that there would be no way for him to survive that. Obviously, I'm completely wrong about that. Um, Larry Elder entered the race a little late, but he was suppressed by the media. And when he got his, managed to get his, uh, his toe in the door in terms of uh, visibility, Larry Elder, who, for those of you not familiar with, is a, a black conservative radio host. I'd just like to say a conservative radio host, but the reason I had to say a black conservative radio host in this case was because Larry Elder was accused of being a white supremacist. Okay, so I thought, all right, so Newsom, Newsom continues. Then they tried to recall the city attorney, uh, who is also a George Soros uh, uh, instrument, like the one in Baltimore and like the one in New York that's going after Donald Trump from a position of what is her stature in terms of the, of the you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. Excuse me one second. I just have to take care of one little thing here. It'll take about a second. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Um, so, uh, so what do you do? Um, well, I imagine that that store owner is going to vote for a different congr uh, congressional representative. Uh, whether or not they uh, did it, um, I don't know. Uh, there's been somebody named a Mr. Wizard who's been, uh, as usual, trying to. This is what this is what these people do. You see, they they don't have the um, they don't have the intellect or the interest really to create their own audiences. So they kind of like like any other uh, parasite. They um, they attach themselves to a living host organism, try to suck life out of it. And in the case of trolls, what they try to do is they try to come in and dominate a conversation of people who've gathered, who would never gather to listen to them particularly because they're not interesting or particularly smart people. So so just a little, just a little button there and, uh, and that's done. Um, he's gone. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't respond to him anymore. Uh, so anyway, and, and this, is what we, this is what we do with insects. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the slightest hesitation about this. Um, anyway, uh, back to the issue. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was easier than I thought it would be. Let me try it again. 
I thought I'd do this on YouTube. Let's try that. There we go. That might do it. In any event, there's a button for this kind of thing. Um, so back to the point. You've got you've got this issue, and it's not going away. So what do we what do we do about this? And how do we? I will appoint mods. I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you about that later. Um, and and what do we what do we do about all this stuff? Well, I think in November we're going to find out whether or not uh, whether or not the uh, electoral system still represents us. And um, if it doesn't, then that's something else we're going to have to have to deal with. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. That's 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 what I was. That's where I was trying to go with this. In terms of the of the the democratic half, the progressive half, or whatever, the progressive third of this country, what is it going to take? It is it going to take people dumping feces on your car? Is that going to change the way this guy voted? Now he was a small businessman. Maybe he didn't vote for these people, but is that going to be it? And 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 again, I don't want to get into this because this is stuff we've we've gone over. It's not it's not really even relevant. The the big question is what's the what's the strategy? What's the plan? This is intentionally done, right? There's no question that this is intentionally done. When the when you have a a, a district attorney whose job is to release criminals and to increase the murder rate in their city, when that's what they're hired to do, then it's clearly not an accident, especially when it happens all across the country, and especially when these uh, attorneys general are, are backed by the same guy. So what is it that they're trying to do? What's the point? Um, it's, um, I think it's, it's got to do with the desire to increase chaos and disorder and lawlessness. And when you have a world where the law is not on the side of the law abiding, you have set the stage for, for, for real, real turmoil. I think, yeah, well, uh, Bart's treasure said, I said previously that the election cheating was like Pearl Harbor sneak attack, which is what I think it was. They get away with it once. Now I'm saying we'll see. Hmm. Well, I am saying we'll see. Hmm. Um, I, on a daily basis, become more astonished at what I see right in front of me. And, uh, and I don't really know exactly what to do about that. There are clearly things that are going on that don't make any sense from a perspective of people who who uh, who grew up in the world that I grew up in which was essentially a, a, a law-abiding world and and a world where where at the very least even if you were a pro-government person you understood that you had to at least have a tax base of business payers to pay for the social programs you have maybe a lot of this has to do with the fact that money no longer has any meaning you just print some more it's not like you have to have a tax base of 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 open restaurants that are are paying into the system now if you can just pay, print whatever money you need what, what do you need those people for the, the the scale of all of this is so monumental i almost don't even know where to to start with it i just know that that everybody i talk to everywhere not just in the political uh, 
uh, arena, but just everybody everywhere is miserable. And, and they're miserable because they're, they're being gaslighted into a state of, of, of anger, which becomes rage, which becomes temporary insanity, which becomes resignation, then sadness, then despair, and then, and then just simple inertness. And I see this is exactly how it's been done in the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany and, and all the rest of it. So look, let's say we get out of California, right? And there's no question that there are states like Florida and Texas that are much better run. So let's say, forget me, me and everybody else. First of all, I start a U-Haul company to get enough trucks because there literally are zero trucks that you can rent now to get out of California. But let's say I figured out a way. And let's say that we all leave California. All the, all the productive people, all the sane people, law-abiding people, let's say we all leave California. What happens then to California? In other words, since that's obviously the goal is to get people like us out of here, what is it they want? I have come to the only conclusion I can come up to, and that is that the entire purpose of all of this stuff on a federal, state, and local level is to is to destroy the middle class as as a as a political entity. These things are designed to get the middle class to become so lathered up at each other that they forget that we're together. The middle class have said this a hundred times. You know, it's the Rubik's cube, right? You all these goddamn liberals, these goddamn conservatives, and so on. I want to kill them, I want to kill them. Next thing you know, you find yourself at a football game, and it's the Packers versus the Bears, and, and it's the Packers versus the Bears, right? So politicize everything. Make sure that everything comes down to a, a, a deeply emotional, uh, life-or-death, hysterical-level thing. One of the most effective things to do to, to make people crazy, to gaslight them into insanity and then uh, rage and then sadness and then despair, is to accuse them of things that not only they didn't do, but things that they've been uh, working their whole life to, um, to uh, avoid. Things like saying that Republicans are, you know, where they're not law-abiding people and they're doing, and they like to live in the shadows and, and they like to, uh, you know, uh, have no respect for law and order and, and have, you know, they, they, they're, they're trying to steal elections. That, that kind of thing is enough to make you, you know, just... So when I get to these places, which is seem to be more and more often, I have to stop myself and say, I am not going to become a lab rat in their experiment when I can see that that's what they want. If, if, I can, if I can see that this is what the purpose of it is, then that is my strongest defense against it, is to, is to simply say, okay, I'm not going to run this, this, this maze that they want us to run. So, so what do we do? Um, what, what do we do? Uh, of all the things that, you know, we had the, the Joe Biden speech several months ago, uh, several weeks, three weeks ago now, I guess it was. And then since we spoke last on the last Stratosphere Lounge, we had something that just, again, did exactly what it's intended to do. I'm not saying that the incident was orchestrated. I'm just saying it's an inevitable result of what is being orchestrated. And this was this business of this guy running down this, um, this, this uh, Democrat running down uh, and killing a conservative uh, because he got into a political argument with him. So this guy up in North Dakota, a liberal, gets in an argument with a 16-year-old boy. 
the boy walks away from it. The liberal goes to his car, um, goes to his car, waits for like a half an hour. There was some kind of street dance or something. This kid comes out. He goes after him, misses him. The kid calls his mom saying, there's somebody here to kill me. Could you come and get me? She's on her way down. But she doesn't get there. 18, I'm sorry. I said 16. He was 18. Doesn't get there in time. So this guy runs, runs this Republican over for being a Republican. That's the only reason. And then that is shocking enough. But that's not, that's not, that's not the horror of it. The horror of it is that when that he called the police, the guy who ran over the, the kid called the police, and when the police came and arrested him, he was shocked. Now we're on, now we're on to the to the the issue. He was he was shocked. He thought that that they were going to just come and and then continue to take Republicans away from this. He was shocked that running over a Republican extremist, a violent extremist, would get him into trouble. There's, there's your dynamic right there. There's, there's the thing to be horrified about right there. And then when you find out that now after Biden's speech, 80% of Democrats think that Republicans are violent extremists who are a danger to democracy. And you've got, all, I talked about this on the, the Virtue Signal with Zoe. Now you have de dehumanized your, you haven't just marginalized or isolated your political uh, opponents, you've dehumanized them now to the point where murdering them is a civic virtue. So, um, so what do you do? What do you do when, when, uh, when you see this kind of hate? And, and it is not, it is not a 50-50 deal. It's not like, oh, I see all of their violence and hatred, but I don't see any of ours. It's not a 50-50 deal. Uh, I've been watching an awful lot of, of, um, you just call them reality videos or TikToks or whatever of, of people who are calling for murder and violence against Republicans. I haven't seen any of the alternatives because if I had, it would it would have been on CNN. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen any of the level of hatred and and rage and murderous intent that I see from people on like trans people on TikTok. I've never heard that about trans people from from regular normal people. I've never heard normal people saying we need to kill all of these bastards, you know, we need to wipe them out. I never hear that. It doesn't exist. It's a one-way street. And there's something about this, there's something about this that is co connected to, to this collectivist ideology. People who are drawn to collectivism have a, a, a disregard for humanity other than themselves it's a it's a form of of narcissism and cowardice and envy and and all of this stuff and i'm currently researching um the the i mean i, I knew the subject that's why i pitched it but uh daily wire has hired me to do another series and i uh, and i said i wanted to talk about the the soviet terror state because i knew something about it and when i heard about eighty-seven thousand irs agents who needed to be armed and Biden's speech, I said, yeah, I think I think the rest of the people in this country need to know as much about how these terror states start as I do. So I've been doing an awful lot about um, voting. I mean, uh, doing an awful lot about research onto this. And it's it's depressing stuff. But the, but the pattern is is always the same. Um, 
it's always the same. And, and when you look at what happened in, in the Soviet Union in the late 20s and the 30s, the dehumanization was moving so quickly that it was almost hard to catch. It's like, okay, well, we've, it, the reason that everything is, is failing and the reason you're miserable and the reason you don't have anything, so fuel, fuel anger, fuel envy, fuel resentment, and fuel uh, possessiveness is because of the aristocrats, all of the czars and the dukes and the duchesses and so on. So, uh, kill all of them. Fantastic. Well, we still still having problems, can't feed people. It's because the, the peasants have, uh, have uh, been hoarding the grain. Go kill all of them, take all of their grain. Great. Well, that's not really working because it's hard to convince the peasants that they're actually anti-revolutionary elements when it's just some guy in a, in a shack. So now let's invent a series of crimes against engineers at this mine, the Shakti mine, and let's convince people now that the real threat is from foreign traders and intellectuals and, and imperialists who are infiltrating everything and wrecking everything. So let's kill all the wreckers. So they do. And after they've killed those people, then it's like, okay, well, the kulaks, these peasants who have two cows or three cows instead of no cows, they're the ones who know how to farm the land. They're the ones who actually are, are successful to the degree that you have three cows successful. Kill all of those people and tell the other peasants who, who aren't working as hard or as smart that if you turn those kulaks in, then you can get their cow and their farm and all the rest of it. Once you've killed them, take all the remaining peasants, put them on a collective farm so they have no land to farm anymore. That's done. Then you go after the intellectuals and the old party officials who, who will be a threat to you because they hung out with Lenin. Kill all of them. And after you've had your police force kill all of the old Bolsheviks, then have a new police force to come in and kill the old police force so that there's no strings attached. And as I said on Zoe, um, uh, on the show with Zoe, when, when Stalin died, the next topic target were going to be doctors and Jews. There was going to be a Holocaust in, in uh, the Soviet Union that would have been at least the match of what, of what Hitler did. Okay, so, so the mechanism is clear, right? That's the mechanism. That's how it works. Dehumanize the enemy. They have to take different strategy and different tactics here because we are armed, and that is a problem for them. So I'm just trying to work this whole thing out, right? I know what totalitarians and autocrats have to do in order to become totally powerful. I know what they have to do, and they're doing it. Now, they have to try a different mechanism, because unlike the kulaks and the peasants and the Jews, we got guns. And so this business about just taking us out back and putting us against a wall and shooting us is not so much an option for them. So they have to do something a little different. And I suspect what they are doing is they are making life so intolerable, so, so, so maddening, so, so incomprehensible, so stupid, so, so wasteful, so insane that they are pushing people to the point where they are they are pushing us to the point where they are counting on and waiting for the kind of violent reaction that is inevitable when you push people up against the wall that's i think what what i don't think i think it's clear that's why biden made that speech they're going to push and push and push and push and push until somebody fights back and when they fight back that will be the evidence for why they pushed in the first place. And there you go. You know, there's, there's been so many people talking about civil war. I heard uh, Tim Poole, uh, the first podcast I ever listened to, heard him talking about civil war and talking about civil war as a result of this issue and all the rest of it. And I've said from the beginning that the, that the civil war, the, the historical civil war could happen because people 
who had different ideas lived in different places. There was a line. And these are the people that are pro-slavery, and these are the people that are anti-slavery, and there's your line, and there's your battlefield. We all live amongst each other now, but I realize that all of these calls for me to leave California and all, all of the rest of this stuff are essentially, and, and my desire to get away from this, this insanity, uh, essentially is doing exactly that, right? It's essentially, it's essentially causing the geographical separation of people based on ideology. And, and the American middle class, the idea, not just the middle class, the idea of a middle class is what has to be destroyed. We talk about the American experiment. We talk, uh, I've said that, that for 250 years, this defective gene of autocracy has been held in place by the United States of America, by the idea of a country that was designed by people who knew the nature of authoritarianism, totalitarianism, built extraordinarily effective uh, uh, mechanisms into the government to prevent that and that that was the only bulwark that has separated humanity from totalitarian rule and a boot on your neck forever as George Orwell said that's the only thing that's prevented them from getting what they want and so that's what has to be destroyed so that's what they're doing now the question is, what, what do we do about it back? From a hypothetical point of view, I, this is just a fun thought experiment. I don't, I, I guess this gets more likely every, you know, every day. But for the sake of the argument, just for fun, just for giggles here, just us talking amongst ourselves, what would happen if Texas were to leave the union? What if they were to just secede? If any state seceded from the United States now because of a, of a resistance to this kind of totalitarianism, that's I'd be I'd, I'd be carrying my stuff there, and I would show up there with a rifle in one hand and a shovel in the other, and say, "Look, I'm not asking to come here. I'll 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 work the farms. I'll dig ditches. Whatever you need me to do, you know, and I can defend the place." I would go in there with with I would go in there with transcendental humility and beg that they let me in. But just for the sake of the argument, let's just say, let's just say you could get to that place. Let's just say you could take Texas out of the union, and let's just say that you could take all of the conservatives in the country and essentially move them to Texas. Then what would happen? Well, within 10 years and probably less, the Texas GDP would be many, many times that of the United States. And then everybody would want to move to Texas to get away from the world that they've created. And they bring the values that they have with them and they destroy Texas. So you'd have to prevent people from coming in on an ideological basis. You'd have to say, I'm sorry, no liberals allowed because we've seen what you've done to the other 49 states and we're not going to let that happen here. And in order to do that, you have to be a separate country. Texas can't protect itself from California because there are no legal barriers to prevent Texans from keeping Californians out. And I think this will be the strongest argument for having a state or a series of states secede. They cannot keep they cannot keep it up. Vegan conservative says they'd bomb Texas. 
My immediate response to that would be, they could try. They could try. Uh, I don't think that... Uh... So, again, look, guys, I, I don't have, an, I don't have a, a, a point to make here. I'm not coming at you with this grand Uber theory. I'm, I'm just trying to work some things out because things are changing as fast as they are. So if you, if you think I got the answer, I don't yet. I'm working on it. Um, but let's just take, let's just follow that for a second. Um, let's just follow that. Um, they'd bomb Texas. Well, who would bomb Texas? Already in the in in the fight in Ukraine, there is an enormous issue with Russians who are refusing orders to to to, you know. They I have heard several reports from people who seem to know what they're doing that 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 if Putin had to use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine, it'd have to be delivered by an aircraft because he could not rely on an entire missile battery and that's local chain of command uh, pulling the trigger. So, so okay, so let's say that they, they do decide to, to bomb Texas. Who's, who's going to do the bombing? I know a lot of fighter pilots. I know a lot of fighter pilots. And I don't know one of them who would bomb Texas. And if they got an order to bomb Texas, the first thing they'd do is they'd fly their jets to Texas. And then they'd land, and then they'd put the Lone Star on there. And, and then they would um, then they'd go up and defend Texas. Again, I know this whole thing is a giant bowl of spaghetti flung against the wall, but I keep coming back to this, this it's not even an analogy so much as it's just a, a model. And it's like, and the model to me is, is rocket staging. It feels to me like the country has reached a point where there is so much dead weight. And I'm not talking about humans in that regard, I'm talking about there politically. There is so much political weight trying to keep this rocket to go from getting into orbit and getting it back in the ocean. That that, that what I want to do is I just want to cut it off. I just want to drop it. That's what I want to do. I want to see what would happen if if you were to take the people that still get what this country's about and and cut them loose from the people who are not only depending on them for a living, but the people who are doing everything they can to grab onto them and pull them down. That's what I want to see. And yeah, and uh, Legendary Sideburns uh, uh, in the YouTube comment section said that there was that female soldier who was um, talking about uh, how, you know, look, I'm a soldier. And if you think you can resist me, you know, if I say go inside, you're going to have to go inside. It's a, a woke woman sergeant in the United States Army. Now, those are the people to fear because those are the people that will carry out orders to shoot uh, civilians. But, but. They're not soldiers, and the real soldiers won't shoot civilians. So it's not like the thing is hopeless. It's just like the thing is incredibly muddled. That's what, that's the, this is the age of muddiness to me, confusion, the age of, 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 of here was something in the past, here's something in the future, and right now we're in this age of, 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 transition and 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 nobody knows where things are going or what they're going to be but obviously a bunch of stuff is going on around the world and and we're right in the middle of it and and we can't we can't see it because we're in it and i'm trying my very best to do what i can do to get above all of this to get above to get above it i've, I've often said that that I think when I was talking about the kind of situational awareness that guys like John Boyd had, kind of breakthrough 
genius is like the difference between being in a maze and being above a maze. If you're above a maze, it's still a maze. But if you're above a maze, you can, oh, that's a dead end. That won't work. You can't do this. But if you're in the maze, you don't know those things. You just have to walk through it. So, you know, that that's a whole list of the bad news that I just gave, right? Uh, feces throwing on Ventura Boulevard and attorneys general and all the rest of it and so on and the secret police and running over Republicans. That's the bad news. Let's Now let's look at the good news. Okay, the good news is, and there's a lot of good news. The good news is, hang on. Yeah. Um, the good news, yeah, our, our friend Wazard says that 200,000 illegals cross the southern border in every month, yet uh, Wazard, who, who wants to come and live here, is, lives in Europe, as I recall, uh, can't come in. My daughter, and my stepdaughter, is not allowed into the United States of America. We've been applying for six years now, legally, for her to get a tourist visa. She can't get it. And, uh, and the more, um, I'll get to those questions, and the more that we that we, the more frustration that we run into, the greater the temptation to, to, to just do the, the easy thing, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to submit to that temptation because that's a complete violation of everything I believe in. So I'm not going to submit to it, but I can feel the pull of it. You know, my wife is very worried about uh, our stepdaughter, her daughter. She's long, I, she's far enough away from the fight in Ukraine to not be in any military danger as far as I'm concerned, but that's not good enough for my wife. So, you know, I just fly her to Mexico and just meet her someplace. Well, why not? Right? I mean, ultimately, the purpose of all of this gaslighting and the purpose of all the purpose of all of this enforced inversion of legality, the, 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 the siding with the crazy person who's threatening people with, with murder and throwing their feces against the car, the state, meaning the big state, not just the state of California, is on that person's side against the side of the business owner who's trying to run a business and a very nice one in that particular case. I think the end goal of that is to set up a world where if you are, if you are now obeying the law, you're a chump. That's, that's, I think, it. I, I remember talking about this many, many, many years ago, that when, the, that when the law becomes so inverted that it's no longer a question of doing the right thing or doing the smart thing, it becomes a question of there is no longer a pathway to do the right thing, so therefore, I'm going to cheat just like everybody else because there's no other way to do things. Now everybody is a lawbreaker, and I suppose the, the end goal of that world is to say, well, since everybody's a lawbreaker, I guess we'd better do something to really increase the uh, law enforcement, right? If the entire idea of the United States is that it's based on a virtuous population and they don't need to be policed and, and surveilled and, and, uh, and, and eavesdropped on, and they don't need to be constantly monitored because they're good people who will do the right thing virtually all of the time. That's how the United States works. But if you can create a world where, where the most law-abiding citizens are forced to break the law because there's no other way to simply survive, then you are creating a lawless world. And a lawless world not only requires a heavy hand in terms of a police state, it not only requires it, it justifies it. So 
let's, let's go to the good news. No one is buying their philosophy. I know I talk a lot about the pop culture stuff, and I'm not going to get into the details. That's for Monday nights. But politically speaking, no one wants this stuff. They're, we're being forced into it, and that's a different issue. But nobody, nobody wants this stuff. They're not buying action figures of Ray Skywalker. They're not, they're not becoming fans of Rings of Power. They're not the the. The social justice warriors have not convinced people to enthusiastically join the cause. They're, they're pressuring them into it, but the stuff that they're selling isn't selling. And I think there's enormous, enormous room for somebody who just comes out and just speaks the truth and, 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 and a breath of fresh air and, and all that other stuff. So nobody wants to go here, not the, the same people, not the normal people. We are armed. That's the number one source of comfort for all of us. That is a real problem for them. Um, and and here's, I think, maybe the, 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 the main point that I've just been struggling with, right? Having just spent so, so many years of my life, but especially the last several months, on terror states, the thing that is so astonishing about what I'm seeing now is that the people who are forcing these inversions and people who are forcing these insanities aren't doing it at the point of a gun. They're just convincing us to go along with them. That's the thing that's the most mind-boggling thing of all, right? What what coercive power do they have over us? They don't have any. They, they don't have. It's not like the. It's not like the Gestapo's going to come and knock on my door, right? YouTube will deplatform me. That's 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 how it works, right? And it's working. It's absolutely working. By the way, uh, just as an example, uh, just as a little piece of homework, uh, when I was looking for the thumbnail for the Virtue Signal show. Um, uh, which was about dehumanization, I just did a, um, a, a Google search, a Google image search, and I think I got them in order. So um, here, let me just show them to you. I probably have to resize them. These are as they came off the, I just did screen grabs, so let's see if they're like crazy big. Okay, so here is, look at the search title. Republican run over by Democrat, North Dakota. That's what I was searching for. And let's see what uh, what images we got returned for. Uh, for that. Okay, so there's the search thing. Google Images, Republican run over by a Democrat, North Dakota. End of results. That's odd. That seemed like it might be a, you know, a, a news story. No, I guess not. All right, uh, let's, um, let's uh, refine our search. Here's the second image search I did because I wanted to find an image of this kid who'd been murdered for the thumbnail for this episode. So here's our second search thing. Republican run over by Democrat. Now, those of you who are astute may notice that there is nothing on this story, which happened two days earlier. Nothing. Uh, I didn't give up because I needed a picture, but I was 
looking at this and saying, okay, we're to Google George Floyd, would I find a picture of him? Here's the third attempt. Uh, and, uh, and this one's kind of telling to, oh, look, look, there's a face. Uh, let me uh, scale this down again. Sorry. Um, come on. I just don't know why this is giving me such trouble. All right, you get the idea. Um, and and on this one, I think I can't seem to grab this one for some reason. This one was um, was uh, called um, Democrat murders uh, Republican. But again, right, you get the idea. You don't have to see the whole page. Take my word for it. The only image that has anything to do with it is this one in the center there. Uh, North Dakota man flees after admitting. So. That's that's the result you get when you enter something like Democrat runs over Republican in North Dakota. Nothing comes back from Google. Nothing. How do you fight against this? How do you how do you fight against this? Um, now, people are saying a, a couple of comments saying, oh, you could refine your search by this or this or this. And I finally refined my search to the point where I was able to follow that link, that one shot of the mugshot, which is on my third attempt. I followed that and I managed to find a picture of the two of them together. And I could have gone back to Instapundit, but I was interested to know what would happen to this story. And the news media didn't cover the story. And so what if you'd happen to hear this story just around a water cooler kind of thing, back when we used to go to work and have water coolers? How would you know? You, you wouldn't know. So what works 57, which is a very cool name, says, so what do we do about it? This is the question I'm here to discuss. Um, I, I don't want to say I don't know. I just haven't figured out all the pieces have to fit together yet. When you control the news media and, and can bury stories like this, advance the stories that you want to tell, bury the stories you don't, and most importantly, invent stories that don't exist, like the Russia collusion with Trump, right? You are able to convince people of whatever you want. Goebbels and Beria dreamed of this kind of, 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 of public control. But I was talking about good news, bad news. Here's here's some more uh, good news, too. Yeah, now try a search for Charlottesville. Yeah, but but here's some good news too. The kind of people who go to the trouble to find out what's really happening are the most capable people that we have. We're the we are the, speaking on a purely mimetic level, on a battle of ideas, we are by far the fittest in terms of survival. We are the ones who, who are doing all the questioning. We are the ones who are, who are, who are this. And, and by the way, one of the things that's been so heavy on my mind lately is I've been, um, I've been reading, uh, I've been watching a lot of a channel called um, Odin's Men, which is basically a, a former Marine analyzing the latest YouTube things. And that is really alarming 
in terms of the questions. Uh, there's a there's a website called Flecka Speaks. The guy's fantastic. I've been a fan of his for a long time. Lately, he goes around and interviews um, people on the street, Gen Xers, uh, Gen Ys. Sorry, I'll get it eventually. Gen Zs on the streets in New York. And those of you who have a certain age will remember this joke. When you're a little kid, you would you would say, uh, so who's buried in Grant's tomb? Or if you'll pardon the expression again, which was popular when I was a kid, hey, let's tell some Pollock jokes. Somebody asked the Pollock who's buried in Grant's tomb? And he couldn't answer. Get it, right? The answer to who's buried in Grant's tomb is Grant. The answer is built into the question. And the reason that that became a, a saying was as an example of somebody who was so stupid that they couldn't answer a question that had the question built, that had the answer built into the question. Okay, so Fleckus is now on the streets of New York and he says, what country is the Queen of England uh, queen of? What's a country? Who fought in the Mexican-American War? Japan and um, uh, name three countries. Remember when we were alarmed that people couldn't find countries on a map? Name three countries other than the United States. No idea. Some could get one country. Here's a here's a an analog clock. What time is it? I don't know. How many minutes? Or in a quarter of an hour. Oh, good Lord, here we go. Uh, excuse me one second while I deal with this latest uh, assault on our senses here. Uh, okay, you. Uh, is it you? Yeah, I think it's you. Uh, I'm going to get some moderators, but right now you're just... Poof. That's actually pretty easy and actually kind of fun. Um, okay, so, so that's not even a question... That's not even a question of, of people being badly educated, okay? That's a question of people being, they're not even uneducated, they're, they're diseducated. They're, they have been, they have not just not been educated, they have had, you have to take an awful lot of, of resources to get a human being to not be able to answer who fought in the Mexican-American War. Uh, just a couple off the top of my head, just for fun, right? Just for fun. What is three times three times three? Couldn't answer it. Do you know what three times three times three is? If you'd sent your kid to school and you came back and was 20 years old and couldn't tell you what three point three times three times three was, would you be a little upset? Okay. What about this one? You make $10,000 a month. How much money do you make in one year? $25,000? Nobody gets it. Um, what about this one? Uh, <laughs> this one beggars belief. If you drive at 60 miles an hour for one hour, how far have you gone? I'm really smart. I'm really smart. I just, I'm just not real good at math. This is the thing they always say, by the way, is they tell you how smart they are. Uh, uh, 20 minutes? L let me try that again. If you drive 60 miles an hour for one hour, how far have you gone? 20 minutes? And the thing about Fleckus that I like, 
because it puts it, it because it's only that irony that saves me from just wanting to leap off a bridge. Is if you're 60 miles an hour for one hour, how far have you gone? One one mile. Correct. He always says that. No matter what they get right, correct. And they they whoop and whoop and whoop. What's <laughs> what is 15 percent of 100? Not a clue. Now, when you have people that stupid, they'll believe anything. When you have people who don't know if the moon is bigger than the sun, it's not difficult to convince them of anything you want to. So again, as part of the multiple pieces of, of, of things that are moving here on the board that I'm trying to get a handle on in, in cooperation with you guys is, clearly, these people are being diseducated because diseducated people will, will do anything and believe anything. And if you can't tell what, um, if you don't know how many minutes are in a quarter of an hour, then forget about, you know, the Chinese overtaking us because they're, because they're graduating people with genuine educations. Forget that. What will, what will an army, uh, what will an entire generation of idiots like that not do? When Stalin was uh, making his, his move for power, in the beginning he had to be very careful because a lot of the old, the so-called old Bolsheviks, people who have been part of the revolution, Lenin, Lenin died early, and you had Zinoviev and Kamenev and Bukharin and all these other guys. Stalin had to tread lightly for 10 or 15 years because most of the population knew who those people were. But after about 10 or 15 years, he had an entire cohort, an entire generation of orphans who were killed, whose parents were killed, or fathers were killed anyway, in the Civil War, and he took those orphan children and basically grabbed all of them, put them into these institutions, and those people were the ones who then, in their early 20s, went on to, to be the ones who could do the, the real murdering. Uh, Euler Greg says, stay positive, everyone. That's, that's why we're having this conversation, by the way, is to stay positive. It's, I don't know about you, but for me, I just need to talk about it. I need to get it out. Right. It's not a surrender uh, story. This is like a, take a look at the map, right? You got you got a, a war going on, and you got to have an honest look at the at the battlefield. And if it turns out that you've got enemy positions everywhere, then you need to know what those are and, and where they are. That's not that's not despair. That's that's the first thing you have to do to figure out how to how to win this thing. So the good news is is that we're armed and we're smarter than they are, or we're much smarter than they are. Much, much smarter than they are. And, and here's another, and probably the most important good thing is, we also, because we believe in truth and courage and loyalty and honor, we will also defend each other. We will, we, our cohesion is much, much higher than the cohesion of ignorant, envious, stupid people who can only look out or only imagine a future for themselves. So we've got a much better team than they do. They're just using such advanced psychology and such and such really brilliantly thought out ways of 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 maneuvering so that so that they avoid the the uh, you know the um, so that they avoid that Lexington and Concord moment. Uh, and as Marcia Dark points out, and and God is on our side. Uh, when I say that we're smarter than they are, 
uh, I'm always very um, suspicious of people who talk about how smart they are. But when I when I make a statement like that, I can say, well, I do know what 15% of 100 is, uh, and um, I even know what 15% of 200 is. And so we've got a political movement that in order to destroy America as the last bulwark against authoritarianism has overtaken the Justice Departments and made sure that the law was not only not enforced, but that an inversion of the law was forced. The people that defend their homes go to jail. The people who break into their homes become lionized and get big money awards. The guys that throw feces on the restaurant owner are, are left alone, and the guy who complains about it goes to jail. This is the word they're trying to build. They're building a world where, where the average citizen is becoming diseducated to the point where they don't know what country they live in, what continent they live on, they will believe anything. That's clearly, uh, you know, part of, of the agenda. And they're trying to force crazy ideologies down our throat, which I thought at first was to get us to change our mind, but every day now I become more and more convinced that they're doing this in order to make us, you know, crazy. So. The first step is to realize that that, that 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 all of the emotions that I'm feeling and that likely you are feeling as well are intentional and that they are the weapon that's being used against us. And now we have to figure out how to how to combat that weapon. Um, and this is one of the ways we do it. So uh, so there's that. Um, I'm also, and I'm going to get to all the questions uh, tonight, uh, if it takes me four hours, five. I'm also, I've been watching an awful lot of stuff recently. Uh, I don't know what the most effective, I don't know how I can be much more effective than I, are, than I am now. Uh, there was a time when the things like the firewalls and the afterburners, for, were, you, you measure the success of something by the views. That's the that's the metric of 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 messaging, right? The met the metric of messaging is how many people saw the message. If somebody has a crummy message, it's seen by millions of people, and you've got a great message and uh, and nobody sees it, then you failed. So uh, there, I've been doing this on and off. I've been doing it for twenty years now. It's almost exactly twenty years now that I started writing eject eject eject. And I've been doing the video since 2018, so that's uh, 14 years. Um, I'm sorry, 2008, uh, so that's 14 years. The, it seems to me that the guy standing in front of a, of a, uh, a, a wall laying out facts and figures, it seems to me like that, what's the word I'm looking for? genre is um, is pretty much run its course. And I'm not speaking about myself or my ability or inability to continue to do those things. I think it's just a question of I don't see them anywhere. Uh, and when and when I put an awful lot of work into something now and it gets 17,000 views, uh, when they used to bottom it 400,000 views, and then I look at other people who are doing either like live podcasts or whatever, then 
I, I say to myself, whether or not it's the algorithm or not, uh, I got to do something differently. I, I just, I have to do something differently because, and I heard this from Alfonso Rachel 10 years ago when he was the first person I ever knew who got shadow banned. Um, and, and I saw him at an event and I asked him why he'd given up doing the videos. He said he hadn't given up uh, doing the videos. Uh, and, um, and he was just so heartbroken by it. So Broke College Student says, go on uh, Joe Rogan. Or, and I've heard people say, get on the Tim Pool podcast. And all that stuff is great. Oh, for God's sake, you, you sons of... Hang on. Uh-huh. Uh yeah. Okay. Uh, did I... Oops, oh, sorry. Sorry, Paul. I got the wrong person. It moved while I was a-moving. Uh, come on, I want to undo this. Yes, I absolutely have to get moderators for next time. I completely, Paul, hang on. I, I, I blocked you by accident. There, I went to block the other ones and, oh, for the love of God. All right, hang on. First of all, yeah, this is not something I should be doing while I'm doing this. Oh, come on. Paul, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to find a way to get into this uh, when I'm done. Right now, I don't see an easy way to unblock you. I I did block you by accident, and I apologize for that. Um, let me try this again. Okay, I got rid of the the dating sites, um, but I will. Uh, yeah, I will make somebody a moderator. I just can't make them a moderator right now. I don't know how to do it, and so I will have to do it next time. Um, so anyway, uh, so the, the question is, scroll up on the top of the feed so it stops moving on you. Yeah, I should probably help too. Hang on. Yeah. So yeah, so um, go ahead and, uh, and do, um, you know, get on the Tim Cool podcast or get on, on this or, or, or Rogan and stuff. But look, the reality of the matter is I don't have the audience to do that anymore. Uh, I just, um, I just don't. So uh, after much, uh, much soul searching and, and things about this, um, all right, I'll try this. Hang on. Hang on. All right. Add moderator. Hey, there you go. Well, that was easier than I thought. Thank you for, uh, for bailing me out of this on-air uh, situation. I think that got it. Yours is all yours. Okay, so, so, so what do I do about that? Um, and I'm ready to do anything. Um, I really am. If it's a daily podcast, I'm ready to do that. If it's a, if it's a, uh, I don't know. I just know that when I look out there now, I don't see anybody doing the kind of thing that I made my bones doing. And, and I'm, I'm tired of watching these, this reach just continue to shrink. Take, um, just take right angle, for example. Over the course of the last four or five years, we would get 
right angles come in at 15, 20,000 views, and they get to 35, 40,000 views, something like that, 45, 50,000 views, and then overnight, overnight, it get knocked down to 7,000 views. And over time, we'd build it back up again to 25, 15, 20,000 views, and then it get knocked down again. Now, it's knocked down to below 10. And first of all, I don't know if anybody knows the answer to this, but I would like to know the answer. Is that a real number? In other words, has the, has the algorithm reduced the views to below 10,000 or, or uh, is that just a number that they're feeding me in order to uh, destroy my soul? Because, you know, the thing about being a messenger is you like to think that people are going to get the message. So it's about being a storyteller is you, you like to think that somebody's going to listen to the story. So, um, so, uh, so, uh, what do we do? I listened to a little bit of uh, Sargon live on the way in. Uh, I didn't listen to much of him before either, but you know, he was doing the live streaming. Everywhere I look, the people I look at. Uh, and again, I'm trying to keep the politics separate from the pop culture, but Nerdrotic and, and, and Doomcock, Drinker, all of them, they're doing more and more live stuff. And, um, and they've got the numbers to begin with. So uh, I don't really uh, know what to do about that. I do know that it is... Um, it is... It's it's soul destroying is what it is you know, it really is and and obviously uh, one of the one of the conclusions that you can reach is that it's just not possible in this world of censorship now uh, with with algorithms determining who sees what no longer it's no longer about your message no longer about how good your message is it's now about the fact that whether you have a good message or not it's they're going to make sure nobody sees it. That, that dynamic, which is relatively new, last four or five years, um, is enough to make you say, well, you simply can't, you, you just can't do this on your own anymore. You know, got to try and become a part of Daily Wire or, or something like that, which I don't particularly even have a, a, a problem with so much as just like, you know, wh where, where, do you, where do you reach people like that? Daily Wire wants me to do history stuff for them, and I will, because I have to. Uh, but I, I would, before I get to the questions, I would just like to get a little bit of feedback on what, on what you guys think based on your personal preferences and also what you may or may not know about YouTube. What do you think is the most effective thing for me to be doing in this atmosphere starting now? Because whatever that is, uh, I'm going to do it. Have we tried doing right angle on Rumble? We do. We post to Rumble. All of our links on BillWittle.com go to Rumble. We put it on YouTube so that we can um, so that we can uh, have whatever audience is left there. Excuse the spectacles. Uh, Marisha says YouTube now favors shorts to compete with TikTok. You can do one minute clips that coalesce the essence of a particular point. Sydney Watson has started doing this recently. I like the sound of that very much. Um, I'll tell you something else since we're all. Uh, sitting here listening to me being honest, uh, taking a look at, you know, what's happened and what I am used to be good at and what I'm good at or not good at anymore. 
the other thing I have to do, uh, the other thing I have to change is I got to get much, much faster response time. Uh, I actually did a segment on, um, on the, uh, on the Republicans sending up all these immigrants to, um, these other states. By the time I got it done, it was, I, I just, it was just stale. I just decided not to post it. It was like, who hasn't, who hasn't talked about this already? You know, who hasn't already, it, it just makes you feel, it just makes me feel like, you know, I'm just copying stuff. So clearly, whatever I do, I got to get, I got to get a much, much faster response time. Uh, also, I've heard that, um, that people, and they're right, it can't be me just going on and on and on about these things. That's why I like the, the, the 60 seconds or less thing quite a lot, actually. Um, I think the 60 second thing is, is probably the very best idea because if it's going to be 60 seconds, uh, that's something that, uh, you know what, I, I actually think maybe that's what I should try. I think maybe I should try coming in in the morning um, and, uh, and now the games and the, and the pop culture thing, that's a whole different story. I'm just talking about the political stuff now. Um, Maybe the thing to do is come in three days a week or whatever and, and, and knock out 60 seconds on what is the story of the day and get that thing up there immediately without any, uh, without any production at all. That's another thing that's been very, very hard for me over the years, uh, and that is just having been in show business and television my whole life, it's coming to the realization that the more polished something looks, the fewer people watch it. I mean... Really, I really think um, that would that would be it. I'm also very curious to know what you guys think about um, about you know live streams, and um, and they don't all have to be me rambling for you know an hour and a half. I can I can just fire it up and do the questions, whatever um, whatever needs to be done. I'm, I'm I'm perfectly willing to do. Guest appearances are great, but um, in order to get guest appearances. You got to have, you know, you got to have some kind of an audience. Um, so I obviously have a take on things, and I think people are interested in that take. I'm just tired of watching these numbers just continue to go down, and uh, and it's demoralizing, and that's the goal. Um, another thing you can try is that Dave Rubin and, and uh, Daisy Cousins do live, do take live streams and split them up into premieres of multiple videos on subsequent days. That's also an interesting idea. Uh, Michael Lewis says, PragerU would be a good place for you to appear. I have uh, been talking to PragerU about that since there's been a PragerU. They've hired every single person on the planet except for me. Um, and I can't understand that. So anyway, all right. So maybe the, um, so uh, for, for live streams, you need to channel rush. That man was doing uh, streams 30 years before YouTube. Again, that's also um, also true. More live streaming, getting on shows like LWC. Okay, all right. I personally think, I personally think that the, um, that a short, fast response is the, is the best uh, path to be going. Right. Short, fast response. Dudley Deplorable says, I've been watching for years, watched Tim Pool, but he takes minutes to convey what can be presented in seconds. I'll tell you one thing that's, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, Dudley. Uh, um, 
because driving in here thinking about this tonight, I realized um, uh, that one of the skill sets I have that I came to this with was as an editor. So I would be able to take a conversation uh, that went on for 40 minutes, let's say, and they would say, uh, we need this to be seven minutes and 28 seconds and 15 frames. And I could do that and I could cut it in such a way that nobody knew that it was being cut. Um, so that's actually something I know how to do. And in fact, that's essentially why the Apollo program and the, and the Cold War and America's Forgotten Heroes, why I was so proud of those things was because my first draft of them would be three or four times the, the total run length of what that episode could be. If I had a 50 minute episode, I would write an hour and a half or, or almost two hours worth of material. And then I had to cut it and cut it and cut it and cut it and cut it, cut it, cut it to fit inside this box. And if there wasn't a box that it had to fit in, I wouldn't have cut it. But, but the thing is, yeah, Knight said, your videos come out days after the story is cold. This is the thing that is most disturbing to me. This is why I, I actually have buried things rather than post them late because it seems so ridiculous. And, and I think that this is, is uh, really, um, I think really, really something that 60 minutes, 60 minutes, ha, huh? 60 seconds, uh, three times a week on um, whatever is happening now is what I'm going to try and do starting next week. All right? I'm going to just come in in the morning. I'm going to look at what the news story is. I'm going to read it to the camera. Then I'm going to take it and I'm going to get it into Premiere Pro and I'm going and I'm going to make that sucker fit inside a 60 second frame. And then we'll see if we can't do something about increasing the, uh, the viewership, uh, using that um, algorithm. By the way, in closing, as we go to the questions now, I have 190, is it 198? No, I have 190,000 subscribers, right? 190,000 subscribers on YouTube. And, uh, and I put out videos that get seen by Two, three thousand people. Anybody have any explanation for what that is and, and how that works? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Guest appearances on LWC and other right wing creators that have a potential following. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we're gonna. Uh, that's what we're gonna try next. I want to drive around the country for two weeks. I just want to get in my car and go for a ride. Uh, why just three times a week? If there's breaking news, just jump on it. That's also an excellent um, uh, 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 suggestion. Randy Porter says, your viewership numbers are manipulated to discourage you. There's no way to know what the real numbers are. Now, let me just let me just say one thing, and, and I promise I'm going to the questions. Randy, if it turned out if it turned out that that was true, right? If it turned out that the last firewall I did got seen by 300,000 people instead of 17,000, then I'd be cranking those things out every week. Like I used to when I was at PJTV and I had to do a, 
happy to do an afterburner a week. Uh, so again, uh, we're dealing with people who really know their psychology and they certainly know the psychology of people like me. And it, and it got to Zoe well before it got to me. And I've known a bunch of other people who, uh, who I respect enormously, who essentially just stopped doing this because they just came to believe that they were just no longer relevant. And, and, uh, and so that's why I'm having this conversation with you guys. I know it's tedious, but I actually need, uh, I need to give myself some kind of vitamin shot because uh, it's, it's getting, it's getting rough out there. All right, so here we go. Let's go to um, BillWiddle.com. I'm going to put on my cogitation spectacles again. And uh, let's take a look at these questions. We're going to get to every single one of them, and that's why we're going to do that. You know what? With that said, I mean, if you want to take a look at these things from a, from a strictly, you know, gain point of view, there's 69 people watching on Twitch and 219 on YouTube. We never had more than 80 when we were on Twitch. So just this one little ability to hit two buttons at the same time is, is, a, is a, obviously a big help. Okay, here we go. Uh, so um, we're going to go to the member stuff. And then um, if I have to add a show that's nothing but Facebook questions, then I will do that. Stratus for lunch, questions, and more. I still don't know what the more is. I bet it's awesome though. All right, so this is the questions for 922, which we're doing on 923 since I got snagged uh, last night. And I'm going to do every single one of them. So uh, here you go. Let's start with this one. GK Masterson. Hey, Bill, first and foremost, what browser do you use at the studio? I need to know so I can use that for writing my how to on Streamlabs for you. I may have circumvented that problem. Thank you very much, GK Masterson. Um, so I'll let that aspect of it go. To the question. If Merrick Garland starts going after DeSantis for doing the exact same thing uh, Gavin Newsom did, do you think that arguing unequal enforcement would be a good way to invalidate the case? Uh, I'm just going to stop right here. I'm, I'll, I'll read the rest of the question. I no longer believe... Uh, I no longer believe that any legal structure is effective without some sort of, just because something's against the law or unfair no longer means anything to me anymore. If you can say, well, they did this, so therefore this has to happen, it, 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 I, it just, that's gone. It's gone. So if you're saying, well, they did this, so, or, or we're doing this and they did it, it doesn't matter anymore. It just, that, that just is gone. That time is gone. Uh, I was talking about good news being on the table. I'll get to that in the rest of this question here. Um, I mean, as far as I understand, there's a general requirement that a law be enforced equally. If it's going to be enforced, you can't pick and choose not to arrest your best friend for murder, but throw the book at Kyle Rittenhouse, and that unequal enforcement can get a case thrown out. Again, I don't mean to disagree with you. I certainly wake up every day wishing I was wrong about everything. But, GK, that's exactly, exactly what I'm saying is happening. You can, in fact, not arrest your best friend for murder and persecute somebody you don't know for murder, even if they didn't do it. That's the world we live in now. It's, that's the world we live in. That's how far we've let this go. Also, I think maybe we should start up a little fundraising to help get these fine visitors to our nation's 
to our nation tickets to other worthy destinations. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of them would love to visit Harry Reid's stomping grounds and see Vegas. Uh, okay. Uh, lastly, what are your thoughts on the man who ran over an 18-year-old North Dakota because the teen, blah, blah, blah. I think I've pretty much expressed that already. Thanks, G uh, GK, and thanks for everything else you do. I think we pretty much covered that already. Um, Luke Siemens. Hi, Bill. What are your thoughts on the phrase, follow the science? I think it's ridiculous and playing into the hands of control freaks. It's like saying, I follow the GPS. It may appear to be true at first glance, but the GPS does not tell you where to go, just how to get to where you've selected. I don't follow science. I use it. Well said. Or at least as a fourth year physics student, I begin to learn how to use it. What are your thoughts on this? P.S. I hope you and Natasha are doing well and take a well-deserved holiday. Well, thank you for that. We're doing okay, I suppose. Um, she's very worried about her daughter, and um, and I'm trying to figure out a way to do things better. But thank you for the for the kind words. Okay, so follow the science. Um, let's just think about this, because sometimes you really you, you really do get something uh, right on the nose. Saying that I follow the science is is an inversion of what science is. Uh, I don't know how to put it any more plainly than that. The, in, the entire purpose of science is about not following accepted theorem. That's what science is. Science is skepticism. When people say, are you a climate skeptic? It's like, I'm a skeptic about everything. That's my job. That's what any thinking person, that's any thinking person's job is to be skeptical about everything. And by the way, for those of you who think maybe I've gone off my rocker with all of this stuff with the vaccine, or the patrollers and all the stuff with the, with the election fraud and all the rest of it, you know, and, and, and just fallen into this pit of, of uh, conspiracy theory, I am skeptical about all of these things. I flight test them all. I constantly ask myself, am I right about this? Am I wrong about this? Is this something I want to believe or not want to believe? Where's the blind spot? Where? This is how you think scientifically. So to say follow the science is, is, to, is to show that you don't understand anything about science at all. Nothing. Science is about not following the science. The science said that the earth was flat until it suddenly decided, no, let's not follow the science. Let's follow science, right? I follow the science. Isn't that the expression? I follow the science. There is no the. If you followed science, it'd still be wrong because science doesn't ask you to follow it. Sci See, when you say something like, I follow the science, what you're basically saying is there's a golden calf at the front of this parade, and that's the parade I'm marching in, so I'm a smart person, and you're standing on the sidelines saying, oh, the, the golden calf is just, a, is just a ridiculous model. You're stupid. I'm smart. I'm following the golden calf. You're standing there. You're a heathen and a barbarian. Dehumanize you and, and find some way to get you liquidated. Science is about not following anything. That's the entire purpose of science, is to not follow anything. When, when, so what you so what you get when you hear people say that is, and this is the thing that you really need to to to, to use if you're going to counterattack this stuff. Is well, one of the things I said that I like very much, especially with regard to the pandemic, is. When people say, I follow the science, they don't follow the science. They follow the scientist. They follow the scientist. Dr. Fauci says this, 
And so I'm going to believe that because Fauci must be smart because he's a uh, he, because he's the expert. And since he's an expert, he's got to be smart. So if Fauci says this, I'm going to follow the scientist because that will make me look smart to all the other people. Everything that the left believes in is predicated on neurotic insecurities period. That's what modern feminism is. That's what the trans movement is. That's what the I follow the science is. That's what all of this stuff is. It's about stupid people who know that they're not very smart and absolutely straight on neurotic panic about appearing smart and good to other people whose opinion shouldn't matter to them at all, convincing them that they're, that, that this is why the current thing is the current thing. And, um, and it was Paul Joseph Watson, I don't know if he came up with that term, but that was, of all the videos I saw on that subject, he was right. He was the one that was most on it. I follow the current thing. I'm in favor of masks. I'm in favor of Ukraine on this. Oh, something new now? Yes, now I'm going to be on top of this. Uh, trans swimmers, absolutely. That's the current thing. I'm going to follow that. 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 Right? And, and it is a sign of just absolute ignorance. Nobody... You never hear Thomas Sowell say, well, uh, well uh, you never hear Thomas Sowell say, uh, well, you disagree with me? Well, look, I'm just following the economics. You never hear him say that. You know why? Because first of all, he's not going to make an appeal to authority because he doesn't have to. And secondly, he's not too concerned about your particular opinion on the issue, right? He's an expert and he's not He's not an intellectual, he's intelligent. This intellectualism is something also, by the way, something also, by the way, that, that is most obvious about the Soviet murder machine is that all of these people are intellectuals. It's all about theory. I will kill you. I will kill you and your family. I'll have you all put up against the wall and shot because you're Zenoviites and I am a Trotskyist. As if there's a difference between these things. It's all academic. It's all theoretical. They have no sense of what's real at all whatsoever. Nothing. Intellectualism is intelligence that's been left in the back of the fridge for six months. That's what intellectualism is. Intellectualism is the antithesis of intelligence. Intellectualism is saying, I want to look like I'm intelligent, and all the intelligent people, or at least the ones who say they're intelligent, which automatically disqualifies them, all the intelligent people are saying this, so I'll say this too. That's what intellectualism is. Intellectualism is encapsulated perfectly, perfectly, in the following uh, saw, which certainly doesn't belong to me. You ask an intellectual something, and the person will say, well, yes, it works in practice, but will it work in theory? What else do you need to know about these people, right? What else do you need to know? I saw Josh uh, Hartley going after uh, a woman who was applying for the job of archivist. And it's a masterpiece. And this woman wrote a paper about how Republican presidents use rhetoric that appeals to anti-intellectuals, um, right? That, and so, so Josh just goes, so, so are you saying Republicans are stupid? Oh, thank you for the question, Senator. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. Well, here's your rhetoric saying that, that Eisenhower and, and, and uh, Nixon and, and Reagan and Bush and Trump all use anti-intellectual rhetoric and you say here that they do that because their constituents are not smart enough to understand uh, anything else. Are you saying that, that 75 million people are too stupid to know who to vote for? Oh, thank you for the question, Senator. No, no, I'm not saying that. Of course that's what you're saying. Of course that's what you're saying. And Josh was doing the exact correct thing, right? 
going after her that way. He did exactly the right thing going after her that way. But I would have simply said, I would have simply said, so you're you're uh, so you're saying that Republican voters are 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 more anti-intellectual than than Democrat voters. Well, thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, I, I'm just saying that rhetorically, that certainly seems to be the case. Well, first of all, that's very kind of you. And, and as a Republican, I wanted to thank you for that. Uh, because uh, I'm curious to know what it is about intellectuals that you find to be so appealing. Well, what do you mean? You you obviously believe that intellectuals are, are are something to aspire to. So I'm curious to know what made you come to that conclusion, because when you look at things historically, if you want to look at actual data, if you want to, you know, follow the science, what you find is, is that the experts are the ones who are wrong about everything. Right? Wear the mask. Don't wear the mask. Take the injection. Don't take the injection. Uh, natural immunity is the best kind of mutually immunity. Natural immunity won't help you. The Earth is cooling. The Earth is warming. The sun is the center of the solar system. The sun orbits the Earth. All of the things that the experts say are things that proven wrong. Not that the individual scientists say, but what the but the but the the idea that there are people who are on the frontiers of knowledge. And they are trying to sort this out inside their head rather than going out in the real world and finding out what the actual truth is. This is what's gotten us into this trouble. This is what caused the Soviet Union. This is what caused the mass murder of people in China, is this worship of intellectuals, people who have no connection to reality whatsoever and who sit in their minds and create this little train set that then functions the way they want it to. And then they talk to other intellectuals about how smart they both are. And the next thing you know, you have an established principle that is the talking point for stupid people like you, ma'am, who think that this is where the truth is, when in point of fact, the truth is not here. The truth is right on the ground, right in front of your feet. And you're too stupid to realize that. And so are the rest of the intellectuals. You're too stupid and you're too narcissistic to understand that the truth is not in this little model that you put together. Truth is on the ground, right in front of you. And you are too arrogant to be able to deal with the fact that the truth is in front of you and in front of everybody else as well, which means that you're no smarter than other people are and you're no better educated and you're not right and you're not good and you're not virtuous. You're just a non-player character who is going down whichever pathway has been determined by other idiots like you, and that's why I am voting against your confirmation for the National Archives. Thank you for your time. I cede the rest of my time back to the chairman. That's what you have to do to these people. You have to kick them in the nuts. You just have to kick them right there. So, Bill, you're asking for feedback and then you're completely ignoring it. You're, you're exactly why it's infuriating. Okay, you have my full attention, Fighting Fedora. I have to look at this feedback and try to continue a conversation and catch whatever I can, but I'm, I'm all yours. First time chat. Oh, somebody, that was to somebody else. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm sorry I missed your, your question. I know sometimes you have to ask these things 30, 40 times. They keep scrolling. It's harder than it looks, actually. 
to to glance over there and not um, you know not uh, have it pull you off all the time, which it certainly tries to do. Okay, here's another uh, comment that I'm getting all the time. Make make uh, GK Masterson a uh, uh, a mod. Uh, while you continue to do your show. I'll be happy to do that too. I don't see her anywhere. So doesn't she have to appear in the in the YouTube comments for me to give her the, the, the touch on the shoulder? I wasn't trying to be uh, nasty or flip there uh, uh, fighting Fedora. I'm just saying it's it's not as easy as it as it uh, may appear to. Um, so anyway, uh, I will get um, I need to see GK Masterson in the YouTube chat. There we go. And now that chat is moving and this thing does not, oh, I know what I can do. I can just narrow this frame, duh. Because the hammer button is on the other side of the screen. It's very hard to, I wish I'd thought of this earlier, but then again, I'm not all that smart, really. There's Masterson, there's Ad Moderator. That's done. Okay, now, uh, back over here, did I miss, did I miss him again? Uh, uh, I'm trying to see. Now, Sork brings up an interesting question. He says, there are people, intellectuals, who um, devote themselves to inquiry and mind expansion. The kind of person you're describing is not an intellectual. That's not what intellectual means. I kind of think it's what intellectual has become. Intellectual used to mean a person who used their intelligence. But intellectualism is now an ism. It's... It's the abdication of intelligence and inquiry in order to save you the trouble of having to think things. Here we go. Build your relationship with your chat. Super chats make it personal. I love you. You're sharp as hell, but you do need to channel that passion into current events as they happen. Couldn't agree with you more. That's the entire purpose of what we went with earlier today. And... Uh, and if you're talking about current events as in like the current events of today, that's one thing. If you're talking about things like answering the chats as they come in terms of the super chats, uh, first of all, yes, but that seems to me like that is a, a specific show. I've seen enough of people who have these super chat shows to realize that they're not so much trying to answer questions that already exist as they're just doing the super. Somebody smash them. Go ahead. I'm waiting. Let's see one of our, uh, here's the best adult dating. Hold on, hold on, don't kill this. It's about the best adult dating site. I don't want to miss that. Uh, so one of the, up, oh, up, oh, Masterson wins. Smashed it with a, with a, with a, with a smash hammer. Oh, Marisha got another one. My God, this is actually like watching, uh, this is like watching the, the Israeli Iron Dome things coming, shooting down the incoming rockets. Off it goes. They've been timed out for 300 seconds. Hmm. Now, that GK Masterson timed, timed out somebody for 300 seconds. Everything else was deleted. It's possible that that interceptor missed the target, that it exploded in the vicinity. Um, Beaker says, Thomas Sowell had a good definition for intellectuals. I'm very curious to know what it is uh, because I think he's the smartest man on the earth. Uh, uh, can you tell me uh, what it is? I get your point about hey, intellectualism used to be people who were intelligent and stuff, but it's 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 mutated like everything else. Um, all right, I'm going to go back to the questions while we're waiting for this. Uh, okay, so there's a 
one down and only you know, whatever 30 to go. Cody Fett. Just a cool name, Cody Fett. It's a cowboy name, you know, Cody Fett. Uh, and I'm, I can't see the YouTube chat here. Yeah, maybe I can. Okay, Cody Fett says, uh, Bill, have you considered writing a script to act as a counterpoint to the arguments of Thomas DeLorenzo? Since you have a lot of video to record right now, you might want to hand this off to Zoe. In case you're wondering who this guy is, and I am, and why it's necessary to debunk him, he's a libertarian historian who has written several books naming Abraham Lincoln as the worst person in American history, single-handedly responsible for destroying America. I'm sure in his writing it is slightly more nuanced than that. Many people have said that his work is so outlandish that it's not even worth the effort of debunking, and I'm sure you feel that way right now too, but this guy's arguments are being repeated by Razorfist, Tim Pool, and the Lotus Eaters just off the top of my head. The arguments are repeated so often by such a growing number of people that they are now being stated as if people were talking about the color of the sky, even though almost all of them come from just Thomas DiLorenzo. To repeat your own argument about Islamic terrorism from a decade ago, back to your people will buy the best horse available, and right now it's a contest between the weak sick horse and no horse. Do you have a strong horse for Lincoln, or do you know someone who does? Uh, I do have a strong horse for Lincoln. Um, uh, I have a, yeah, I have a, I have an exceedingly strong horse for Lincoln. Um, it's, I'm sad to see that uh, the names that you mentioned there uh, of, of people, uh, Razor Fist and Tom, uh, Tim Pool and Lotus Eaters, getting on this, um, uh, this particular bandwagon. Uh, and I'm certainly as guilty of this as anybody else. I just have a very high level of self-criticism when it comes to this kind of thing. This is a form of, of virtue signaling, this sense that... Uh, that I'm, I'm going to call Abraham Lincoln the worst president in American history and responsible for all of our problems because I have inside information about him, you know. Um, the, uh, the, I, I, well, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, Cody, I can't, I, I, I completely agree that it's necessary. There's no question it's necessary. Completely agree. But I can't really answer your question right now because I don't have the specifics of what this lunatic said. If I had the specifics about that, then I would um, I would be able to do something about it. Now, Marisha says, Stefan Molyneux and I are on that wagon too. Bill, is this the wagon that Abraham Lincoln was the worst thing that happened to this country? Is that the wagon? Um, I'm curious to know. Um, my first response to this, again, without having seen the specific, uh, the specific things, would be this. Uh, what what is your alternative? What was your what would your alternative be? You're just curious to know. Because one of the easiest things to do is to criticize people and realize that um, is to realize that it's one thing to criticize people because life usually doesn't consist of uh, okay one of, not the worst but one of the top ten. Please make the case. Looking forward to this. Um, I'm looking forward to you. Just give me the top top three reasons why you think he's in the top 10 worst presidents of the United States. Because one of the things when you're dealing with a situation like Ukraine or whatever is that you um, is that you say, oh, somebody did something terrible, made a, made a terrible decision. And in many cases, that's really true. But the, but the problem is, is that not that there was a good choice and a bad choice. The 
problem is that there's a bad choice and a worse choice, and you took the bad choice, and you're being criticized for doing something that's got a lot of problems with it. Okay, but what what's the alternative? So, uh, okay, well, Marisha says Stepano had a video called The Truth About Abraham Lincoln that goes into detail and offers a solution as well. I don't have time to watch that video right now, so why don't you, um, why don't you give me just a, a couple of points here? I will shorten the video titles. Uh, and by the way, I, I, my, when you see the thumbnails, that's my video title. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was in the pockets of the railroad tycoons. So let's just say for a minute that, that was true. How did that affect his behavior? Are you saying that he fought the Civil War so that he could increase railroad traffic? Uh, Javier Rojas steps up and says, I've heard the arguments. One of them was that his martial law decree in Maryland and his Maryland and his arresting of pro-South state legislators. Yes, he did do that. He did violate a number of civil rights as the commander in chief of the uh, of the Union. And unlike the South, which allowed uh, open criticism right up until the end of the war, uh, Lincoln shut those shut those things down. Is that, the, is that the reason why he's uh, such an evil president? Alternative was to do what the British did and use lawfare and reparations to free the slaves, letting the Confederacy go. Economics would have let slavery die a natural death. So there it is. Okay, that's all I need to hear. If you let slavery go, put aside the moral repugnance of that argument, okay? Just put aside the moral repugnance of that argument. Let's just look at the practical aspect of that. You want to take your slaves and go? Okay, fine, off you go. Who am I to stop you? I only have limited federal powers, not my power to keep the union together. If you decide you want to leave, off you go. Take your slaves, set up your own uh, confederacy, and we will we'll border you. Now, we have two nations in the United States, a slave nation and a free nation, that have a common border that runs 2,000 miles or getting close to that by the time the rest of the states come in. Um, when do you think the next war is going to happen between these two countries? Do you think that it'll happen in 1915 when there are machine guns and, and, and aircraft and all the rest of it? When do, you think, when do you think that that will happen? When do you think that the people in the North will stop caring about slaves in the South? And what is it about you, by the way, that is so comfortable with allowing a group of people to march off and continue to have slaves in the North American continent? What is it about you personally that is in favor of that? What, what is it about that? Now, she says, we're presently talking about Texas seceding, so to clarify, the union is an internal. Well, I'm talking about Texas seceding as an act of increasing human freedom. You're making the case that the Confederacy should have been allowed to succeed in order to continue to own slaves. So I want to know, where does that come from? Because most people would be morally outraged about that. I am, and I don't consider... Uh, Negroes to be property. This is the entire heart of the Civil War. This is the entire argument of the Civil War. This is why people can say things like that Lincoln is a bad president. It comes down to one thing. This is very simple, very simple. If slaves are property, Lincoln is a tyrant, the Civil War is unjustified, and he has overreached his powers, and the entire thing is 
one giant federal power overreach if slaves are property the north has no business going down there and telling people how to run their lives and they should have simply let them go so they could deal with their property the way they wanted to that's the argument that you have if you consider slaves to be property if on the other hand slaves are people are human beings are actual creatures that are held in bondage, then you have a moral obligation to free those people. And this argument is exactly the same as the abortion argument. Is this a person or not? If it's not a person, then who are we to tell you what to do with it? I'm not gonna say it's your body because it's not your body, it doesn't have your DNA. If it's not a person, who are we to say? If it is a person, if it is a person, then you've got an entirely different argument. Now you have, now you have murder. If slaves are property, it is livestock management. If slaves are people, it's murder. And I'm against murder. It wasn't until the 14th Amendment near the end of the war that slavery was legally abolished. The Emancipation Proclamation didn't free a single slave in the North. The 14th Amendment was a result of the fact that the Union won the war. If the Union hadn't won the war, there wouldn't have been a 14th Amendment and there wouldn't have been a 13th Amendment. It wouldn't have happened. If the, if the Union hadn't, you, to say that, that an amendment that followed the victory of the North in the Civil War was what would have freed the slaves in, in, in any event is to be so self-evidently circular that I don't even really know what to say about that. To say that the 14th Amendment would have, would have, would have solved this problem 14th Amendment happened after the South had been defeated, way after. Haiti and the U.S. were the only two countries that has had a war to end slavery. Every other nation that ended it found another way. Haiti and the United States were the only two countries that had entire economies based on this. If you look at Great Britain, Great Britain can declare that slavery is illegal because Great Britain's economy was not built on slaves. It was built on cotton, which was grown by slaves, which is why the, why the British supported the Confederacy during the war. They damn near came in on the side of the, of the uh, Confederacy because they needed the cotton. And that's an argument to make against the British when they start raising their noses about the whole thing. Oh, we're, we're, we've been against slavery. Can't believe you guys even went on with that. Well, first of all, it's the British Empire that started this country, and it was British people that brought the slaves here, number one. Number two, you may, not, you may be against slavery, but you're certainly not against the cotton that they're growing. That's your entire neighborhood. So, so, so again, this is, this, is like, this is exactly like the argument that's made for the 9-11 inside job thing or the moon landing thing. The flag is, is waving, therefore it has to be a fake, right? There's a, there's a glimmer underneath the bottom of this picture of the 767, it's carrying a targeting package. Right? You've, got, you've got one thing that your entire case is built on and, and you utterly negate every other thing that is possibly there on the table because you want to believe this because it sounds kind of trendy and cool. Ray Berry says, if the first confederacy of the 1780s lasted less than 10 years, why would anyone think the 1860s confederacy would have lasted much longer? The Civil War, the Civil War was the inevitable result of the compromise that made the United States possible. You could not get 
the southern states into the United States of America without a provision for them to allow to keep their slaves. That was repugnant to many people in the North and republic to some people in the South too, but that was the price of it. So the Confederacy lasted from 1776 uh, or 1787, whatever you want to prove or take it to, and they were strong enough so that in 1861 they decided they're going to go off and, and go to war with, with America over it. Um, I don't understand this at all. I really don't. If you're saying that, if you're saying that that Lincoln's arrest of people who were who were printing defeatist uh, or pro-Southern newspaper articles, if you think that his arrest of a couple of individuals is morally more repugnant than the turning of 8 million people into, into personal property, then I don't want to be on that, uh, that side of the equation. I don't. The, it goes without mentioning, although I never hear this mentioned, that seven states of the Deep South were out of the Union before Lincoln was inaugurated. So it's not like Lincoln provoked them. It's not like Lincoln forced them out of the Union. The seven states of the deep confederacy, seven deep states, were out of the Union before Lincoln was president. Why were they out of the Union? They were out of the Union because they knew that the Republicans were going to allow, not that the Republicans were going to declare slavery illegal. You no one is saying slavery is good. We're just saying that the means didn't justify the ends when there were other means available. The other means available that you listed was to simply let them go. That's your first, that was your first alternative, was to simply say they should have just let them go. And eventually slavery would have died out. Maybe, maybe not. But even if the answer is yes, how long? And not even how long. How, I don't, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I guess. I guess we're just so far away from it now that that this is now a that this is now a an intellectualist argument. We're going, well, we could have done this. We could have done that. Well, we could have done this. We could have done that. Let's just be clear about the historical truths, okay? So here's so just so we're really clear about this. Prior to the election of 1860, prior to the accepted compromise was we have an entire rest of the continent that's going to become part of the United States, okay? Become part of the United States. Hold that thought. All of these states are going to come in and become part of the United States. Are they going to come in as slave states? Are they going to come in as free states? The Southerners wanted anything below the Mason-Dixon line or whatever the parallel was. If it was below that line, automatically it was a slave state. But the United States Congress and the people of the United States decided that, hey, you know what? Here's an idea. Why don't we let the territories that are coming into the United States, why don't we let them decide whether they want to be free states or not? Why don't we let the people who are coming into the Union decide whether or not they want to be a slave state or a free state? So that's what we ended up doing. And to the despair of the Southerners, it turned out that these territories that kept coming in wanted to become free states. And so they realized that sooner or later, as the rest of the continent becomes individual states in the nation, they're going to be outvoted and they are going to legally lose the right to keep their slaves 
So they took their football and they went home because they knew that that was eventually what was going to happen. Lincoln didn't kick him out. Lincoln didn't say, get out of here. Lincoln didn't say, I'm coming down to take your slaves. He didn't do any of that, right? He didn't do any of that. He was a reflection of the changing mood of the country, and he was a reflection of the Republican Party's anti-slavery platform, but he didn't do anything. He didn't make any threats. He didn't do jack. He couldn't. He wasn't even president yet. He wasn't even president. He was just on his way. So the South leaves because the South couldn't handle the fact that they were going to legally lose their slaves. Now, she says you should have, should have paid for them, should have, should have bought them, should have just basically bought them from them. Let's think this through, why don't we? Okay, let's just sit there and think this through. Put aside the fact that you're asking for half the country to pay for the other half of the country to reward them for keeping slaves, put that aside, even though you shouldn't put that aside. Let's just say that this was the argument. Pay for the slaves and be done with it. We don't have to have a war. Okay, so we're gonna make, we're gonna make the abolitionists in the North pay out of their taxes the money to the people who are owning slaves in the South. We're going to give up our tax money and you're gonna give it to them to enrich them so that they will free their slaves. Now, what makes you think that there is a possible price that the Southerners could put on giving up their slaves? What, what, because you're not asking them to give up an asset, you're asking them to give up an economy. If you make an offer to buy the slaves freedom, you are basically saying, here is a single cash payout and now you have nothing. There is no conceivable way that the South would have accepted that. Do I take a moral issue in the way Britain ended slavery since that's exactly what they did, only they just recently finished paying off that debt? This, how many slaves were in Britain? How many slaves were in Britain? It is a completely absurd comparison. This is like me saying, I'm going to give up fish for the rest of my life. That's a sacrifice I'm going to, well, I don't like fish. I don't eat fish. I find this fish disgusting. It is no sacrifice for Britain to give up slaves or to pay for the 10 slaves that may have been existing in that country. The entire economy of Britain, by the way, was predicated on the slavery in the South. So it's entirely hypocrit uh, hypocritical for, for the British to say, well, we, we gave up slavery and how dare you keep yours? Your entire economy is based on textiles. Your textiles come from cotton. Your cotton comes from slave states in the South. When Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, it was to keep the British from coming in on the side of the Confederacy specifically for that reason. And that's why he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which, true, did not affect anybody in the South because he had no control over those people in the South. But what he did say was, over the states that I currently have political control over, those people are henceforth and forever free. So for those of you in Britain who think that this whole thing is just a, 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 dis a disagreement and you can just pick whichever side you want to, no. The British public was against slavery. Lincoln freed the slaves that he had control over, and that was done to make sure that the British people put enough pressure on their governments that they didn't come in on the side of the Confederacy. The British didn't come in on the side of the slavery because they needed the cotton. So there you go. There you go. That's a wonderful point. German Conquistador 08. You don't need your own slavery when you have others. Precisely. Precisely right. Well, the British gave up their slavery and they paid for it.
They just, they just did the right thing. They didn't go to war over it. They simply paid off the slave owners. How many slaves were working fields in Britain when this happened? How many slaves were going, how much cotton was being grown by African slaves in England when they made that decision? And how much did it cost them? And did the people who had black slaves growing cotton in soggy old England, did those people then have to find an entirely new way of making a living? Or was this the kind of thing like a boutique kind of a slavery where there's a, some guy or some somebody, some else has a couple of slaves because, because he's the duke of whatever or whoever, right? So this is, this is the actual facts of what happened, right? That is why the Emancipation was, Proclamation was issued. And, and to say that he didn't free any slaves in the South is because Lincoln understood that it is pointless for me to do something like saying, I declared them all free when I have no power to do this until I win the war. Until I win the war. I lost Twitch. How did I lose Twitch? Well, looks like I've still got Twitch. Uh, looks like we, oh, it's got some backups and stuff like that. Anyway, um, so that's my short form. That's like saying we still do business with China. Well, now you've got a point. Now you've actually got a point. Yes, that's right. The iPhone is manufactured by, by slave labor in China. That's a, that's a, a really good point. But even then, even then, it's not the same situation because you can, you can have a world where, where Chinese people are making iPhones for a reasonable wage and under reasonable conditions. That's not inherently a moral evil. That's not the, and it's also not the end of the Chinese economy. And by the way, by the way, the fundamental difference, the fundamental difference between Chinese iPhones and, and uh, Southern slavery is, is that no matter how awful those conditions may be, nobody is forcing people to work in the Chinese iPhone factories. As a matter of fact, there's a long, long, long line outside of that building for people who are voluntarily going into work for these substandard wages under these miserable conditions. So it's not, in, it's not indentured servitude and it's not slavery. It's just really, really immoral occupational conditions. No one's forcing those people to stay. They're not the property. Apple doesn't own those people and the Chinese government doesn't own them either. That's kind of important, right? There are people that do horrible things for a living or people who cut these, these ships in, in, in Bangladesh and in, in, in uh, Pakistan and in um, uh, India and all the rest of it. Miserable, dangerous, toxic, horrible work. And there's a line out the door for people who want those jobs because those are the social conditions in that country. It, does that make me happy? No, it doesn't make me happy. But apparently, the people that actually live there realize that, that it is better to manufacture iPhones than it is to live out in the country. That's why they're there. That's just the beginning. Uh, we can go on about uh, Abe for quite a long time, but I'm going to move on. Uh, hopefully, that was at least a start for, for you, Cody. Um, Henry Lumley, who's been a big part of curating this. Uh, Bill, have you read any of the books by Michael Schellenberger, who wrote Apocalypse Now and San Francisco? <laughs> oh, sorry, Apocalypse Never. So I was pretty sure that was Joseph Conrad. Uh, uh, Heart of Darkness was started 
uh, basically was the basis for that. I highly recommend Apocalypse Never. It's incredibly thorough takedown of the environmental grift movement. Do you know what former Governor Brown, Governor Newsom, Al Gore, and Prime Minister Trudeau all have in common? Their families and they personally all made their fortunes from fossil fuels and most of their environmentalism is directly tied to benefiting their own personal fortunes at the expense of industrial civilization. Also, the leading funder of anti-nuclear activists has been the oil companies in order to keep our power grid running on oil. What have we lost technologically by refusing nuclear power? My God, man. My God. What have we lost technologically by refusing nuclear power? Here's my first, here's my first response. One of the things that I would have the power to do if I can get this animation thing off the ground is, rather than lecturing to people who will never hear it anyway, I can do something like this. I have a homesteader story where there are people out on the frontier and the lead character is a guy, excuse me, who is a hydrologist. He's a, he was working as a high pressure a guy in an oil a refinery and he thinks he can make money on the frontier by drilling wells for people and providing them with water. He's, that's his economic model for moving out to the frontier, right? And this has been in my head for quite a long time. So he gets a call from somebody who's interested in perhaps setting up his own well rather than having to buy water, which has to be shipped in every few months or whatever. They're recycling an awful lot of it, but you can't recycle water forever, right? So he goes out there and talks to this guy and the guy's, well, so what do you want to do? I want to have a well, I want to do this and so on. How much power have you got? I've got this, uh, I've got the solar panels here and I've got uh, those two windmills you can see up on the hill. And my guy says, look, man, you got to just, let's just stop dicking around. Okay, you, 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 we won't be able to do anything unless you're serious about this, right? You need 10 megawatts constant power and I can supply that reactor along with the other services I had, but you just can't dick around with this kind of thing, right? It, you can't get there from here. And that's all I wanna say. I wanna say, stop dicking around. Let me know when you're serious about energy, right? And I can do that and I can show it, I can show it. I don't have to tell people, I don't have to talk about anything else. I can just have a guy saying, you want, you want water in your house? Stop dicking around. Let, let me know when you're serious. When you're serious, I can help you. This is nuclear power, right? When you're serious, we can help you. We did a right angle on this not too long ago. Uh, Newsom has decided to keep Diablo Canyon open a little bit longer uh, because um, California doesn't have an electrical grid. I did an awful lot of research for a uh, firewall that just never got done uh, because I was just looking at the numbers and the amount of research and the things and I just said, you know, screw it. No one's gonna watch it anyway. We've already covered that. We'll get back to that some other time. But in any event, if you look at the history of California and its power plants, California comes down to, hang on to that German key store, uh, the, um, the, the history of California power plants is we're gonna close San Onofre Nuclear Power Plant, which generates 1,600 megawatts of power, but we're going to open a solar farm over here, which generates 40 megawatts of power. See how it all balances? See how it all balances? I'm glad we got a serious question about nuclear power. I'm gonna do my nuclear power rant because that's what this show is all about. There have been three 
significant nuclear accidents in the history of nuclear power since we've had nuclear power. And, and nuclear power has been shut down. We had the Three Mile Island incident, which basically uh, released some radioactive gas into the atmosphere and to the best of everyone's ability did not affect anyone's health. It doesn't seem to be any increase in cancer rates or anything from from uh, from that area. So that was simply just the, this, this extraordinarily archaic system doing its job. We have a containment structure and the containment structure basically held. Okay, so even if there was some environmental damage, you have to ask yourself what other bio environmental damage was prevented by not having to drill the oil or move the oil or all the rest of the stuff or the coal or whatever. So before we even start talking about nuclear power, let's start by saying that nothing is free, nothing is perfect, Everything is a is a trade-off, a risk-benefit trade-off. If you want to talk about problems with nuclear power, you don't get to talk about the problems with nuclear power without talking about the problems of oil and coal and solar and all the rest, because it is in the terms that I learned in debate, when it taught, taught me how to think, is it is not a unique disadvantage. There's not a disadvantage that applies to nuclear, doesn't apply to other things. So, Three Mile Island. Second one, Chernobyl. I'll come back to them. Third one, Fukushima. I'll come back to that in a minute. Don't, I'll, I'll, let me stay with Fukushima. Fukushima was designed to, to withstand a 9.0 earthquake. Los Angeles is designed to survive an 8.0 earthquake. It's my understanding. 8.0, 8.2, 8.5. 9 is crazy big. This is a once in a, in a millennium earthquake. So that number came up. It was, turned out it was a 9.1. Now, as it turned out, that Fukushima problem occurred because it didn't just get the earthquake. The reactor and the and the containment rode the earthquake out. 9.1 earthquake, peanuts, piss off. No damage to the containment, nothing. What got Fukushima in trouble was when the electrical power went out as a result of the earthquake, the backup power to cool that reactor was was generated by diesel generators that they had waiting outside. But the problem is, is that the, is that the earthquake produced a tsunami and the tsunami took out the backup power. The backup power went and that meant the cooling lost. And that's why you had the problem in Fukushima. And the real reason that there was a, an issue in Fukushima was because they did not want to lose the reactor. They didn't want to lose the, the capital investment in the reactor. So they didn't flood the reactor. And the next thing you know, you've got a runaway heat situation and so on. With that said, and it's been a while, it was 2011, I want to say, something like that. With that said, people who I know who knew what they were doing basically said that, look, if you took a look at the people who lived closest to the Fukushima reactor and for their personal safety, you decided to fly them from Fukushima, Japan to Wichita, Kansas, they're going to take a higher radiation dose on the plane ride from there to here than they would if, if they stayed there. Okay, which leaves us essentially with Chernobyl. All right, so Chernobyl is Chernobyl is the nightmare situation. And Chernobyl could have been much, 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 much worse than it was, and it was catastrophic. So basically, we've shut down nuclear power around the world because of Chernobyl. So if you have not seen the HBO Chernobyl series, it is simply the best television I have ever seen. It is the best television I've ever seen. All right, but let's talk about Chernobyl. First of all, and most importantly, Chernobyl does not have containment structures. 
You know those concrete domes? You didn't see them in Chernobyl. You know why? It's because they didn't exist at Chernobyl. There was no containment around the reactor in Chernobyl, and the reason is because it cost too much money. It cost too much money. Now, Wilton, is that is that is that accurate? Um, G.K. Masterson says, Chernobyl is what happens when you put idiots in charge. It's simpler than that. Let's say you want to use an energy source to heat your home. And let's say that we're not talking about keeping your house at a, at a nice toasty, uh, you know, 80 degrees or whatever the case may be. Let's say that, like many people in the world, if you don't find some way to heat your house, you're going to die. You're going to freeze to death. So you got to find a way to heat your house. Well, one way uh, that you could do that is by using a fire. So if you use a fire uh, inside your house, you can keep the house warm. So here's what, here's what the communists did in Chernobyl. They heated a house using fire, but they didn't build a fireplace, right? They didn't build a fireplace. In other words, a fireplace is a containment structure for fire. And the thing that's noticeable about the fireplace is it's fireproof, which is rather an important uh, aspect of something that you're going to use to contain fire. If you're going to try and contain fire, it's very nice that it's fireproof. And that's why it's made out of bricks. But the Soviets did not do that. The Soviets didn't go to the trouble of building a fireplace in the middle of the house that they're trying to heat because the fireplace was too expensive. What they did was they decided to build a fire in the middle of the room and cut a hole in the ceiling, and that's how they decided to heat that stuff. So imagine the shock that followed when it turned out that the building burned down. The building burned down because the fire was lit in the, little, was lit in the middle of the room, surrounded by combustible materials, and not only was there no fireplace, there was no fire extinguisher either. And because of this, nuclear power has shut down all around the world. Okay, all right. Well, I, uh, I've looked at the science regarding carbon emissions and all the rest of it. I know that carbon uh, used to be 3,000 parts per million 80 million years ago in this country. They're screaming if it gets to 450, we're doomed. It used to be 3,000, so that's all I know about carbon emissions. But nevertheless, it was done because politically, people didn't want it. And there is a quote from somebody in the environmental uh, uh, industry, and it's quite an old quote now, it's at least 20 years old, but one of them said, a cheap, safe, reliable, renewable source of energy would be the worst thing that could happen to the planet. Did you hear that? Cheap, safe, reliable, renewable energy would be the worst thing that could happen to the planet because if it did happen, then there would be no constraints on, on the free market and no constraints on, on people's visions. And, and that would be the end of, of the of the game for these people. Everybody has an occupation, you know. If you're lucky, like I am, or l not luck had much to do with it, if you work hard over time, you can maybe find a way to get paid to do things that you like to do. And 
that's certainly the case of people who became environmentalists. And the reason they called them watermelons is, look, look in 1990, half of the world was under an ideology that said that that individualism, free market, ownership, property is bad, evil. And then it's gone. And it's gone because they're wrong. And they had been wrong for the entire time. But the Soviet Union collapses. So what happened to all the people that hate capitalism? What happened to all the envious people? What happened to all the people who, who, who couldn't stand the fact that somebody had a nicer house or a nicer car than them? People who were too lazy or too stupid or both to go out and work hard enough to get nice stuff. What happened to those people? Where did they go? They didn't just vanish. You think you just gave up? No. No. They kept going after what they kept going after, which is the, the destruction of of private property, the destruction of freedom to do what you want to, the destruction of any ability for an individual to, to live his life the way he wants to. So you got to shut down. So you got to shut down capitalism. So how are you going to do it? You can't bomb it out of existence because they kind of tried that and thought about it, but they couldn't do it. They, they, their system could not provide a military that would defeat ours. So how do you do it? Well, you got to scare people into it. You got to scare people into it. And the way you shut down manufacturing something is by turning off the electricity to the plant. If you can't bomb the plant, and if you can't plant, make the plant illegal, then what you have to do is you have to make it so that the plant shuts down of its own accord because of some greater good, which, of course, is the survival of the planet and the, uh, and the elimination of of uh, radioactive waste. Now, before we go any further, let me say this. Radioactive waste is a serious problem, and radioactive waste is, is, a, is a genuine issue. And if there was only some way to solve this issue, like burying this stuff deep in the ground, then we wouldn't have anything to worry about. All of this is moot at this point because the reactors and the designs for the plants that, that we had problems. And by the way, by the way, this is a perfect example of, of the news going down to LAX to report that Flight 1411, American 1411 from New York, has just landed safely at LAX. This is a perfect example. How many reactors were there in the world working at, at, at the time of um, the China syndrome? Hundreds, certainly. Was it thousands? I don't know, right? I don't know, but it was it was hundreds, I'm sure, around the world. And they were working every single day and every single night, creating electricity, doing what it's supposed to be doing, just marking it off, doing the job, and it was doing the job perfectly safely, but they all got closed down to be replaced with windmills. And by the way, by the way, this winter is when we're gonna see in Europe what happens when you depend on windmills and solar to, to run your country's uh, economic grid. That's when, that's when it's going to be an issue. Now, um, Michael Dice says, what about launching radioactive waste into space? The problem with that is that rockets blow up. It's much, much easier to just bury it in the ground. And, and my point is, is that all of this stuff is moot anyway, because, because if you were to put nuclear power into place now, None of these issues are on the table, and they know it. They know it. The, the, the reactors of, of uh, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima, 
the fundamental design, not the final engineering design, but the fundamental design was designed in the 40s and basically engineered in the 50s and implemented in the 60s and 70s. These things are 60, 70 years old, these designs. There is now multiple pathways to nuclear power that cannot melt down. Now, let me explain the difference for those of you that don't understand between a, a, a physical phenomenon versus an engineering phenomenon. The classical nuclear reactor design consists of uranium rods that are moderated with carbon rods that soak up the excess uh, 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 protons, oh, sorry, neutrons, and when you put these rods into the reactor, it soaks up enough of these free neurons so that the chain reaction stops, and as you pull them out, more and more of these chain reactions happen, and you can pull them all the way out, and the reactor will get to peak power. It's like a throttle. It's exactly what it is, and it's a fairly high-precision throttle. You want to you lower the, the energy output, you put the rods in deeper, you want to raise it, you take them out, okay? Now, if you take the rods out completely, then the reaction becomes so uncontrolled and so hot that it will, in fact, melt down, right? So you build in safety mechanisms, like you build in something that allows that if the power goes out, the rods drop in automatically. The reactor scrams to safe. You have cooling systems. These are engineering problems and engineering solutions. So what I'm saying is features, and the problem with engineering safety features is they can fail. And in Chernobyl, they were turned off. So imagine the shock when they failed. But see, now I'm going to a different level here. They were turned off for political reasons, and, and that is part of human life too. People do stupid things for greed or for prestige or whatever reason, and I don't even want to trust that. So, when you talk about a modern nuclear reactor, thorium-based nuclear reactor, what you're essentially talking about, I'm simplifying to a great degree here, but what you're essentially talking about is instead of having one thing that's very, 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 very hot and is going to heat water up to steam, because that's the whole reason it's there, can you get water to steam? Yes. If you get something to make steam, you can drive a turbine. If you can drive a turbine, you can drive a magnet around a coil of, of wire, and that means you can make electricity. Steam is the... Steam... Look, we everything... This power, all the power that you see, every single... Every single watt of electricity you use or have ever used is a result of steam. It is a steam-powered system, right? That's it. You use coal to heat up water to turn it to steam, or you use oil, or you use nuclear, or whatever. You use solar, you use anything. It's designed to generate steam. So, in the traditional nuclear reactor, you have all of uranium in one place in order to control it, and this is exceedingly hot, and you move water around it, heats the water up, turns it to steam, drives a turbine, condenses, that's what those weird towers are for, condensing towers, and then the water goes through again and, and, and you go on forever until the, until the fuel runs out. Endless electricity. It's throttled up and down, but you don't burn fuel at a higher rate particularly, right? So, it's on all the time. Now, what the modern reactors do is, instead of putting something in one place that gets so hot that if a mechanic perfectly for it to function, if the engineering fails, it stops because of physics. That's not the same thing as what happened in Chernobyl or Three Mile Island. Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, Fukushima, the engineering was there to, present, to prevent a, a, a fatal meltdown, but 
modern reactors are genuinely fail-safe. Everybody's heard the term fail-safe. Hardly anybody knows what it means. What does fail-safe mean? It's fail-safe. It's a fail-safe system. What does it mean? It means when it fails, it fails to safe. A failure of any kind, an earthquake, a, a, a controller error, a loss of electricity, loss of water, means that if it fails, any kind of failure, it fails to safe. It simply stops working. The reactors that we've been talking about, historical reactors, don't fail safe. They fail dangerous. And the failures have been what have caused the reaction against nuclear power. Okay, all right. But that is no longer the case with current designs. Current designs fail safe. If any part of them stops working, the thing stops working. And there's a bigger issue too, bigger issue. And the bigger issue is this. Right now, we have nuclear power centers like Diablo Canyon and like the, the, the recently shut down, um, I can never remember the name of that place. Uh, right on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, other nuclear reactors, right? They're big centralized things. They require enormous power grids. These power grids require stations, transformer stations and things to, to, to continue the power, distribute the power and so on. This is, a, this is a 20th century industrial era way of getting electricity to people's houses, right? We're gonna have five reactors or 10 or whatever San Onofre, thank you. And we're going to power the entire state with these five sources. It doesn't even matter if they're nuclear for this argument. You've got five or six power plants generating power for the entire state. The answer, the answer to the problem is you get a self-contained reactor, which nowadays is not much small, not much larger than a big water heater, certainly smaller than a, than a school bus, right? It is self-contained. You don't open it. There are no operators. It's essentially a radiothermal generator. It doesn't do anything other than generate heat. And it never generates so much heat that it melts down. It's, it, it provides 25 megawatts and you put it in the ground and you build a swimming pool on top of it just for fun. You don't need to. And it runs for 20 years and powers a few thousand houses. So if the grid goes out, it doesn't matter because there is no grid anymore, right? It all fails safe. That, uh, and none of this is dealing with fusion, right? Fusion has been 10 years around the corner for the last 60 years. Whether it gets there or not, I don't know. But I do know that if there is going to be fusion power within any of our lifetimes, it's going to be this centralized power station, huge, enormous, incredibly expensive thing. So I would rather have a neighborhood power station. And if I was trying to hurt the country, I would much rather have all of the power being generated in small number of places. There is a terrorist attack that happened in the United States that nobody knows about, and I didn't know about it until I got to be friends with, with uh, Frank Gaffney, who has been an absolute, absolute voice in the wilderness about protecting our power grid. This isn't a hypothetical. This actually happened. At a, it wasn't a power generating plant, it was a, a transformer plant. It was a, a, an area where power was being, taking power in from the power plant and then distributing it to Silicon Valley. Several years ago, something like 10 years ago, this conventional plant, which again, wasn't a power source, it was, it was, a, it was a, 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 a relay, power relay, was shot up 
by AK-47 bullets. It was shot up, surrounded, and shot up by AK-47 bullets. And I don't remember if it was five out of six or, or, or six out of seven, the electronic controls to that transducer station were cut. But the people who did the cutting missed one of them. And because they missed one of them, they were able to shut that transformer down before it burned itself out. Now, you may ask yourself, okay, so where's the harm in that? Well, if that transformer, if they had gotten all seven of these things and that transformer had been allowed to melt, then you think, okay, so you replace the transformer. The transforming equipment is the size of a locomotive and no two of them are the same. No two of them are the same. They're custom made by a couple of AK-47 bullets hitting some, some tanks and some cooling tanks and a, and, and a big old pair of wire cutters, they nearly stopped the electrical power to the entire Silicon Valley for six months. Six months minimum until, they, until they'd done that. Six months minimum, probably longer. And there's no way around it, right? It wasn't a question of getting power from somewhere else. You can't distribute it. It's gone, it's melted. We don't have spare transformers. A civilization that was run by people that weren't idiots would have standardized transformers and you'd have a bunch of them on the shelf. You know why? In case somebody decided to shoot one up with an AK-47. That's why you would have one. You'd put it on a truck, you'd disperse them around the country, probably get it back online within a couple days, certainly within a week or two. But no, 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 no. We got other things to spend trillions of dollars on. Not anything sensible like this, no. Uh -uh. Okay, so there you go, right? This nuclear power of the 21st century is so unbelievably different species than, than what we all grew up with and what we have been made afraid of that even talking about the safety history of nuclear power is kind of a trap because despite the fact that it's excellent, it still doesn't account for the fact that these modern reactor designs cannot, it's not a question of won't, it's not a question of we have measures to prevent. The laws of physics say that if everything goes south, earthquakes, fires, cats falling from the sky, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens, it simply shuts down. Now, if we were to get over this man-made, man-created psychological terror of radiation, it's not just nuclear power, it's terror of radiation. By the way, interesting fun fact, a couple of fun facts. First of all, did you know that inside the uh, nuclear power plants that are still functioning in the United States, there is a level of radioactivity that is allowable inside the control room and it is exceedingly small and it's monitored all the time, right? And if that level gets higher than, than the bar for whatever reason, the plant is shut down, okay? Now, uh, here's something you probably didn't know. That level of radioactivity, the maximum level of radioactivity allowed in a nuclear power plant control station is exceeded by a factor of four in Grand Central Station in New York City and has been from the time that that thing opened in, what was it, the 30s? Let me rephrase that. 
When you stand in the center of the Grand Central Station in New York City, you are taking a radiation dose that is four times higher than the maximum allowable radiation dose in the control room of an American nuclear reactor. Uh, do you know why? Well, the reason is because Grand Central Station is made, is made almost exclusively from granite, and granite is radioactive. It's not terribly radioactive, but it is radioactive. You know what else is radioactive? Bananas. Bananas are somewhat radioactive. They have an isotope of uh, potassium, if I, if I recall correctly. Okay, so if people were to be made aware of the fact that the reactor level of radiation is a quarter of what is going on in Grand Central Station, and then they realize, wait a minute, I've been going to Grand Central Station every day for the last 50 years on my way to work. We wouldn't be having these problems with nuclear reactors. So let's say that we had that kind of education, right? Let's just say we actually didn't follow the science. Let's say we actually did some science. Let's say we did some science and we found out, oh, so you can take that level of radiation? Yes, of course you can. Of course you can. The human body is designed to repair itself from radiation. If it didn't, we'd all be dead. There wouldn't be any life on Earth at all. We're constantly hit by, cons by cosmic rays. There is, in fact, as a, as a small parenthetical, there is compelling evidence that if you expose humans intentionally to slightly larger doses of radiation and you do this over a period of time, you will then have people who are resistant to massive doses of radiation. You can build resistance to radiation by, by slowly increasing the dosage, which means that those mechanisms for repair become more in use. It's essentially the same as how your immune system adjusts itself to anything. So the Earth is radioactive. Grand Central Station is, all of it's radioactive. There's radioactivity all the time, all the time. And people have this panic about it, a panic. Okay, but let's just say that we were have an educational system and, and, and a, an open media and somebody like me could make this argument and somebody could say, well, don't you win. We're going to have nuclear power back in this country. And what would happen then? Right. What would happen then? What would happen if it turned out that the nightmare of the environmentalists came true, that there was cheap, uh, abundant, safe, essentially unlimited power? What would happen? Well, how would how would the how would the people in control control you if your power supply was something that you got together with fifteen of your neighbors on and signed a local contract? And since the thing is always on, why couldn't you simply pump? salt water into this thing. And there's a fair amount of salt water out there. I've lived on the Atlantic and the Pacific. I've seen a fair amount of it in my life. You would then be able to take all the water you wanted to, run it through a desalinization process, have unlimited free water. You might have a byproduct of oxygen if you decided to, but that's not necessary exactly. You'd have unlimited power and unlimited water. What would happen to the world's food supply if every place had unlimited water and unlimited power. Do you know that prior to, I want to say the, it was the early 1800s, I'm not exactly sure of the date, but did you know that the United States had passed laws that said that 
we had essentially a national security interest that allowed us to, what's the word I'm looking for? Own any outcropping that was covered in bird guano. In other words, if there's a rock out in the middle of the ocean and it's covered in bird guano, there was U.S. legislation that said that we had the legal right to go there with the United States Navy and secure all the bird shit on that island. That that's what we we had a, a right to do that. Do you know why? Because that guano, that bird crap, was priceless. Priceless. It was priceless because it was highly concentrated nitrogen, and nitrogen is what makes fertilizers work. And and bird guano is really terrific, and a little bit of it goes a long way, right? So we had the legal power, and people would make fortunes by finding rocks that birds had roosted on because of the bird crap, and the bird crap was valuable because of the nitrogen. The nitrogen was valuable because it was what you needed in fertilizer. Fertilizer was valuable because it allowed you to grow more crops, and the more crops you grew, the more you could feed people, right? So that was it. And then all of a sudden, after much work, not all of a sudden, after much work, virtually positive it was German uh, scientists who did this, almost 100% certain. A team of scientists figured out a way, a chemical way, to fix nitrogen from the air, to take the nitrogen that's, what, 78% of the atmosphere, nitrogen, something like that. It, they found a way to take the nitrogen. You and I are breathing more nitrogen now than we are oxygen. We talk about breathing in oxygen, exhaling carbon dioxide. That's a trivial amount of the total amount of air that we breathe all the time. Virtually everything, everything you're hearing from this mouth to that microphone is being powered by waves that are moving through a sea of nitrogen. We live in a sea of nitrogen. It's neutral. It doesn't help us. But plants need nitrogen in order to grow. So when they found a way to pull nitrogen out of the air, you no longer had to find mountains of bird crap in order to find a way to make fertilizer. It just took energy. It was a chemical process. So if you have unlimited power and unlimited water, you have the ability to, unlimited seawater, you have the ability using the unlimited power to desalinate the seawater and you also have the electrical power needed to fix the nitrogen from the air into fertilizer. And that means if you were so inclined, you could grow cotton in Las Vegas, right? That's the future that I grew up with. That's the future that I, that I was fully expecting was coming our way. This is what I thought my future was going to be because they told me it was going to be that. They told me that at the, uh, at the Futurama exhibit in the, in the 1964 uh, World's Fair in, um, in uh, New York City. I saw it with my own eyes on a little diorama. Here's cotton growing in the desert because we have endless supplies of energy, endless supplies of essentially free energy. We've had this ability at our fingertips for 70 years now, and we don't use it because a small number of people have decided that they don't want us to have it, and they have managed to control the information supplies to the point where they've scared everybody absolutely insane. One of the biggest influences on me when I started writing Eject, Eject, Eject was a guy named Stephen Den Best. He was a brilliant, brilliant engineer. 
brilliant engineer. If you're having trouble with uh, the, some people are talking about, is it Twitch that's given us uh, interruptions or YouTube or whatever? I don't know. I'm sorry about that. Uh, there's not much I can do about that. Um, usually don't have problems with that. I'll have a, a look into that. Anyway, um, and I was just saying, talking about energy reactors, talking about that. Help me out, somebody. Uh, nitrogen, I'm starting to, oh, uh, yeah, nitrogen, oxygen, fusion, yeah, come on, Billy. Um, I know I was talking about unlimited power and unlimited uh, energy, unlimited water. Anyway, if you can create your own water, your own energy, and your own fertilizer, no one can control you. And the people who've gone into this business of making us terrified of this have succeeded beyond our wildest dreams. What do you say about a society that strangles itself to death, you know? Oh, apparently I lost 50 viewers like very, very quickly because YouTube, because uh, I was talking about something YouTube didn't want. It's the world we live in. Um, so uh, people are saying we lost a bunch of people and apparently now YouTube is glitching the stream. Okay. I'll talk more slowly. Apparently, this is actually happening. Algorithms at YouTube have determined that this conversation is not something you should be able to hear. So, all of a sudden, the feed has been essentially interrupted to the point where it's unwatchable. Okay. That's a sign that you're hearing the truth. Let me just see how bad that looks, because I can, uh, uh, yeah, he, he's raving there, and then he's kind of not. I'm, I'm looking, going out and coming back on YouTube. It's coming and going. Okay. And everybody's got this new kind of spinning wheels of, uh, of death uh, logo. Um, okay. Well, then that's something, that's something, yep, there it goes. Yep. He's, he's. Stop talking. Just pure coincidence, no doubt. Oh, he says Twitch is barfing as well. That tends to mitigate. How can it be my network connection? I have, let me see what my network connection is doing right now since somebody mentioned that. I'm just a curious. Look, if I have to put the show, I think the show goes out in 720, right? I'll put the show out and who cares if the show goes out in 640 by 480. Let's just see. Let's just see what uh, what we're supposedly getting here right now at this place because we have a pretty high-powered internet here for dial-up. Uh, go. Spectrum. Download. That's stable about 340 megabytes per second down. Um, Brady D says, if you rewind about 30 or 40 seconds, then it stops lagging. I guess that creates a buffer. Let's see what it is up. That's the one we care about. It's definitely lower than usual. In fact, I thought I was guaranteed of, uh, it's looking like 13, 14 megabytes per second up. 
I thought I was guaranteed much more than that. So it is low. Um, okay, that's may not be a giant conspiracy. It may just be a phone call that I'm um, needing to make. But people have noticed it since we started talking about nuclear power, these interruptions are becoming more and more extreme. So I think that covers that subject adequately for the time being. Uh, and um, and both of these books look terrific. Okay, um, from Marusha, the topic is controlled opposition. Uh, Bill, while you might have disagreements with Scott, Steve, and Zoe about particular details of a topic, for the most part, you're all on the same side and agree on the big picture, iron sharpening iron, as Zoe puts it. I get that that's largely the point of the show, but it does come with important limits and trade-offs. I know you used to do debates in your speaking tours. Do you think there might be any value in having longer form discussions on your channel with people of good faith who bat for the other side? Yes. To dig deeper into topics like abortion, climate change, self-driving cars, pop culture, or what have you. To test that iron in real combat against opponents who can hit back. As much as I enjoy these Q&A streams, there isn't often much room to elaborate or clarify if a point has been misunderstood or to really dig deep into both sides of an issue. And even here, when we disagree, it's still mostly just sparring among friends. On a related note, I think I mentioned this once before, the Discord server has a feature called staging that can let you take live voice and video calls from an audience members in a controlled way. If you want, GK Masterson and I could help you set it up in about 20 minutes on a weekend, even accounting for bill time. It's super easy. If you prefer, such hangouts could be limited to paying members as an incentive to join, much like what Brett Weinstein does for his channel. This in turn would allow the community to help you out in a number of ways, both in terms of funding, feedback, and general problem solving by lever leveraging decentralized intelligence. Let us know if there's something you'd be interested in and we'll schedule a time for it. Much love as always. Thank you. Yes. Um, yes, this is, uh, this is right in line with what I spent the first hour and a half talking about, about the fact that uh, things have, um, have changed uh, and uh, you either change with them or, or, you, or you don't. Um, I don't know what can be done about the algorithm. I know that the algorithm is working against ideas that the people who own these things don't want you to hear. Um, and there's your evidence, apparently. But even if that's not the case, uh, to whatever degree the algorithm is working against me, I'm not helping anything by using formats that don't get any benefit from the algorithm. So what I'm saying is, if I'm more effective algorithm-wise, I can still be tuned down, but apparently the reach would be better than not doing so. So yeah, uh, I guess the talk about, uh, and so, you know, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, I think maybe the way to do it might be to have it formed in the, uh, as, a, as, a, as a written question, you know. Um, and I could take it a lot more uh, slowly and more carefully, not steamroller my way over it the way it uh, tends to happen when I just get this thing without having a chance to look it over in advance. Okay, here we go. Um, but yes, I'm, I definitely would like to do that. Uh, Judy Sheiks. 
Allow me to pull the old broad card here and rant for a few moments about the abomination that is voting month or more as opposed to voting only on election day. When I was growing up, election day was almost a hallowed day. Polls were open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., giving citizens ample time to cast their votes either before work, after work, or on their lunch hour. So much of that right now, uh, Judy, just sounds so quaint to me. Voting day, citizens, ample time, work, before work, or on your lunch break. Yes, that's the world I grew up in. We have to have... We have to allow a long lunch so that a citizen who is working has time to go to the, um, to the nearest precinct to cast their vote and then come back to work. That's the world that I grew up in and the world that you grew up in and the world that all of us who are valuing sanity, if not grew up in, then at least appreciate and understand. And all of these things, including the working part, are, are being assaulted on a constant basis. Businesses gave their employees time to work, hence the emergence of the I voted stickers to prove that you were absent from work for good reason. You know, I never realized that. That also makes such perfectly good common sense. I'd always thought the I voted stickers were essentially just virtue signaling, but you're right. It's, a, it's essentially a, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a note from your parents for, for being gone for lunch at two and a half hours, that one day out of every two years. Um, Bars and liquor stores were even, were even closed until after the polls closed to make sure no scoundrel could get someone inebriated and have them cast a favorable vote. I didn't know that. Most importantly, voting was a big deal. All of my siblings and I were excited to be able to cast our first votes. It was a rite of passage for us. I'm with you on that one, too. I remember the first time I voted for president, I gave this to the guy and I said, don't lose this one. You know, that was 1984. Was it? Yes. No. Yes. 84. Um, I vividly remember my late parents getting dressed up, going hand in hand to the polling place, then canceling out each other's vote. But they went every election and they instilled in us the reverence for what a privilege and honor voting truly is. Moving a to a month-long or more spectacle of mail-in ballots is not only rife for cheating, but it also cheapens what should be one of the most important duties of the citizenry. It's saying that not being inconvenienced trumps the sanctity of voting. Mail-in ballots were reserved for servicemen and other people who were stationed abroad or were working out of state. Is it going to be impossible to get the genie back in the bottle? Uh, that was so eloquently put. Yes, uh, an absentee ballot, in other words, a vote that you mailed in was something that was very difficult to get and you had to prove that the only reason that you were going to be given this privilege was because it was physically impossible for you to be there. Um, This is a really great example. In fact, this may be, honestly, uh, Judy, this may be the best example I ever heard of, of how political decay follows moral decay. That we talk about political solutions to problems when the solutions are not political. The, the solutions are moral solutions. And trying to fix a moral problem with politics is not going to work. Um, you very eloquently described the world that I also grew up in, where voting was revered because it was perceived to be precious 
and and um, valuable. And all of the laxities that that have come about since then, voting month and you know the two thousand mules thing and all the rest of it, all of that has come about as a result of lax enforcement of election laws, but those lax enforcement of election laws only happened because the population voted in people or allowed people like that to change those laws. And so it's not a question of of the law. It's a question of the the um, the morality of it. If we were to teach people that voting is a sacred right and 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 that all of the moral uh, accompaniment that went with it. Um, uh, that's what has to be recovered. And this brings me back to what we talked about in the beginning, and that is that people. one of the questions that come up, do you have hope for America and stuff? I certainly have hope for the idea of America. The idea of America is never going to go away. Um, the, 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 um, the amount of damage in terms of the intensity and the size is, I think, essentially unrecoverable, but that doesn't mean that the country is unrecoverable. The country is an idea. We have no less than, no less, no less than 100 million people who completely understand election integrity, rule of law, uh, you know, keeping your promises, education, real education, all the rest, at least 100 million and, and probably more than that. In fact, if certainly if you could get information to the middle, we'd have at least 200, maybe 250 million people in this country, but that's not the problem that we're running into. The problem we're running into is that the 30, 40, 50 million people who are big believers in the leftism have taken over our institutions, and the reason they've taken over our institutions is because we allowed them to take over our institutions. We walked away from them. We walked away from politics. We walked away from the pop culture. We didn't like what was happening, so we decided to leave. We went home and we said, well, I'm not, movies have become so anti-American, I'm not going to watch movies anymore, so we booked out of that. Uh, we don't want to be politicians. We find the whole thing to be boring, uh, trivial, uh, frustrating, and stupid to sit there and do nothing but listen to other people talk all day. And so we decided we didn't want to do that. And once they made it uglier to get into politics, once they made it the kind of thing where they will find a way to destroy you, whether there's a reason or not, then even more good people stayed away from politics. So we basically walked away from politics too. Uh, we all thought that if we would just be left alone, um, we would govern our own lives uh, the way we had been with virtue and integrity to the largest degree that humans could possibly uh, do that. But the reason we did this unbelievably stupid and naive thing is because people like us do not have the ability to comprehend how evil people can be. And I don't mean Nazi level evil. I mean DMV level evil. We cannot comprehend that there are people who do nothing but fantasize all day about having some kind of power over other people, that that's their entire motivation in life. 
and that these people see politics not as a, as a as a civic obligation that you try your very best to get out of, but they see this as the 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 way, and in fact the only way, to gain money and power uh, by telling people whatever they need so that they can get a vote. And once they get in a vote, then they have all the power of the incumbency. And after that, they just, you know, do whatever they want to. Um, it is difficult for us to um, uh, imagine that somebody could spend their time that in such a, such a philly, silly fashion. Deep says, you mean Justin Trudeau? Justin Trudeau is the poster child of the 21st, or first quarter of the 21st century uh, he's the he's the he is the incarnation of it he's he's everything he's a, he's young and handsome and good-looking and well-spoken he's very stupid he hates the fact that he doesn't know as much as he thinks he knows so he says he follows the science and and says what other people assume smart people would say when he first was elected he made liberals swoon by talking about um, quantum computing but because he controls the media what they didn't see was prior to him giving his brief little explanation of quantum computing he asked a number of people if they would ask him about quantum computing because he had memorized a paragraph from quantum computing from Wikipedia, and he parroted that paragraph back without understanding it. Um, and, uh, and so people thought, wow, he's so smart. He really knows what he's doing. You could tell that he's fundamentally a coward because when the truckers came to have a talk with him, they didn't come to, they, they weren't saying string him up. They weren't saying we're going to come in. We're going to. They said well, we, we disapprove of how you're doing this. We want to talk to you. Any politician worth a damn, including Richard Nixon, by the way, who did this during the Vietnam War protests, walked out in the middle of the crowd and just said, "Okay, let's talk. What's what's the problem here?" Any politician who was a real politician who actually believed what they say they believe are here to serve the people would have just come out and simply, you know, uh, talked to them. So uh, he ran. And, and, and then he put the police on him, and then he put social media on him, and then he put, then he put this power of the state onto other institutions that made sure that they didn't get any money from outside, they didn't get their own money, threatened them with taking their children away. All of the, all of the tools of the state he used in order to repress this nonviolent, reasonable, uh, patriotic, uh, spontaneous reaction to his um, totalitarian politics. politics. Now, uh, what do we do about that? Trudeau, to some degree, used the power of the state. I mean, he had policemen in uniform out there, and of all the things that have been just heartbreaking to me, it's, it's seeing the number of law enforcement, I'm not saying all of them by any means, I'm not even saying most of them, but the number of law enforcement personnel that are willing to do things like arrest a pastor out of his church because he's not wearing a mask, or the number of law personnel that, that are telling people to move along, no, no pictures. There's an awful lot of, of, um, of uh, fascist wannabes in, um, in the West.
and they all come from the left because fascism is a left-wing philosophy. For those of you who may have had a half a year of college education, I understand that you maintain that fascism is the opposite of communism or socialism, but it's not. Fascism is collectivism. Mussolini was the a socialist leader before he became the guy who invented fascism. Fascism is about the fascisti. It's a bundle of sticks. We've been down this road before. It's all about collectivism. And collectivist thinking cares not about the individuals. If you have to murder a few hundred million people to get your way, bring paradise on earth, and that's what you get. Um, so, yes, do we, do we get the voting back? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I know that voting works in certain states. I would trust the results of an election in Florida. Uh, I don't trust the results of an election in California at all. And this is a good point for me to just chuck in that, um, that the one thing that we, we are, this business of sending um, uh, refugees from the border to uh, sanctuary cities is the most brilliant thing I've seen since I've been paying attention to politics 20 years now. It's the most brilliant political move I've ever seen on the part of Abbott and uh, DeSantis. And I've spoken to, I've spoken to governors about this and to state Republican parties about this. There is still a tremendous amount of political power in the governors. I understand how the 17th Amendment was designed to eliminate state power, concentrated on the federal level, turn the whole thing into a popularity contest. The Senate was supposed to be the house of the states, not a second house of people. It wasn't supposed to be the house of lords. It was supposed to be state power is represented here. The people are represented in the House. The states are represented in the Senate. And if the House and the states both agree, then it goes to the president if it's signed its law. But now there's no one protecting the rights of the states, so that's how they did it. They appealed to democracy. And Biden said, our democracy, how many times? 60 times in his little um, fascist diatribe the other night there. Our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. It's not a democracy, it's a republic. Yeah. And the reason is, in a republic, you can't vote yourself out of your own freedom. That's the difference. That's why they want a democracy. Um, and that's why they call themselves Democrats. Uh, so um, anyway, uh, I do know this, if there is enough, uh, if there's enough honesty left in the system and or in the American people so that we um, are able to recover these institutions through the uh, voting methods, then election integrity is the only thing I care about. I don't care about the border. I don't care about big tech. I don't care about anything other than that. Because the genius of what these people have done is, is they have not only either stolen an election or not stolen it, they have destroyed America's faith in the electoral system on both sides. That's the gigantic accomplishment of the people who, um, who have been mucking around with the system trying to trying to screw up things like this. They've achieved it. It doesn't matter now. If the Republicans win in November, the Democrats will believe that, that uh, the Republicans cheated. 
if the vice happens, the inverse happens, we'll believe they cheated. And the idea that there is actual evidence that you could go after to find out the truth is people no longer know how to do that. The reason I'm so concerned about the election in 2020 is because so many of the voting districts have, against the law, destroyed their voting records. Why would you do that? Um, you would want to believe that if you had truth on your side, you would not only not destroy your records, you would trot them out and make them available to everybody so that everybody could see that there was nothing to hide, right? That's what you would do if you were innocent. But that's not what happened. And for those people who say, well, that doesn't prove anything, it does. It actually does prove something. Destruction of, of incriminating evidence against you is not only proof of your guilt, it's proof that you know about your guilt. Long night. Just trying to see how far. Uh, okay, one on the next page. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna have to pick up the pace a little. I reckon. What are you doing time-wise here? Really? Wow, that's that's right. We're in three. We're coming close to three and a half hour territory here. Uh, and we're not even close. Okay, Justin Witsit. Uh, Bill, after the short excursion into YouTube streaming, I recommend you drop Twitch. Almost as soon as it started, the YouTube stream had twice the people. I'm a gamer and keep up with the streaming community, and Twitch is getting more toxic every day. As bad as YouTube censorship is, Twitch is worse by a factor of 10. The only thing Twitch has going for it is that it's easier for us in the comments to chat with each other. Just my thoughts. P.S. Check out locals.com might be a way to make some easy cash and censorship free. That's certainly something to think about. Uh, German, uh, I'm going to answer this question because he's asked it nine times. Uh, do I still have hope in the future of the country? And if so, what gives it to you? I do have hope in the future of the country. And what gives it to you is that people like you are asking these questions. Uh, the, that's, the, that's the immediate answer. Is that... Is that a hundred million people still care. That's Germany and France combined. It's not a trivial number. It's not like there's 25,000 of us left, you know. Uh, everybody talks about Rumble. There is no audience on Rumble, and Rumble is so badly run. It's just so miserably run. Uh, and if I even if I did the broadcast on Rumble, I'd still stream it to YouTube because that's what that's where what, at least is what's left of the audience is there. Um, so. Uh, to answer your question, do I believe in this future future of this country? Yes, I do. And the reason I believe in it is because, well, I'll just tell you the first thing came to mind is because I came in and did the show tonight, and I sure didn't want to. Um, you know, I've just been beaten up, pummeled, uh, heartbroken, dismayed, astonished, shocked, surprised. I have to wade into this every day and watch everything I love so deeply being destroyed on a consistent basis. And nevertheless, here we are. Right, here we are. Um, you know, this, this sounds very trivial, but it's actually extremely profound. The battle, any battle, any war, is won by the side that doesn't surrender. That's it. 
we would still be fighting World War II if the Japanese hadn't surrendered. Uh, I, uh, somebody said, why don't you attend regular streams with Doomcock? I, I actually said, I'd love to do regular streams with you, Doomcock. And he said, well, um, let me see if I can work in. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's not my place to see who gets what seats anywhere. I'd love to do the streams with Doomcock and with Gary and with Drinker. I've had a couple of emails with Gary, uh, and um, he's ignored most of them. Uh, I'm not blaming him for anything. He gets much more email than I do, and I get so much email that I um, that I just don't I can hardly check it anymore. Uh, uh, German Conquistor says, very nice. I will say I only asked so many times because he told me to hang on to it. Thanks for answering, Bill. You're welcome, and thank you for repeating the question. I didn't mean that to sound like I was annoyed. There's so many things come up in the stream, and sometimes they grab me and pull me completely away with what I was saying, but no, I I believe um, uh, I don't think this, I, I think I think America existed from, from, the idea of America existed from the first time people became aware that the thing they saw in the reflection was actually them and not something else. And that this establishment of a country that actually would represent and protect those ideas is unique in history and is now under attack from so many sides and has been under attack for so long and so relentlessly and so covertly. And the damage that's been done is so massive that it's enough to make you cry, but at the same time, at the same time, it should show you that it's indestructible. I really think it's indestructible. Um, they keep knocking us down and we keep getting up again. And uh, we don't have any plans to quit. And and on those times when I come in and, and do the pity parties because I'm so sad or depressed or, you know, inactive, inert, wiped out, I'm, I'm having a real hard time doing anything these days. And the reason I come and talk about it is because to surrender is to not come and talk about it. Uh, this is why... Um, This is why I believe in, in the country. Uh, I think that the policies that we're opposing are not only inhuman, I think they're anti-human policies. And I don't think anybody wants them. And I think that the only way they get the mileage they get is by controlling everything. I'll go back to the first argument that I can recall making ever speaking live, ever, from the first time I can remember standing up in front of a group of people. When you are on the side of truth, uh, you have an astonishing advantage. If you were to take, this is, again, I spoke this out loud the first time, I don't know now, gosh, 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Hang on a second. Hey, honey, I'm still on the show. Yep. And I've still got some questions to go. That's okay. How about if I text you as soon as I get done? 
What's that? All right. Um, yeah, it's going real long. We're, we're, we're three and a half hours and still got some stuff to do. I'll, I'll text you right back. It, uh, it won't be within 10 minutes. Do you, did I miss something? Got it. Okay. All right, baby. I'll see you. I'll see you when I get home. I'll, I'll, I'll take you. I'll text you when I'm done. I love you very much. All right. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Uh, that's a call I take. Uh, so anyway, I guess I've made that point. Um, let's see. Eduardo Enrique, one of our favorite, favorite people. Uh, oh, oh, the truth. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I left that in the example. I said, uh, what I said was, if you are in the, the um, Superdome, which at the time was the Superdome and had been in uh, the subject of all this stuff from, you know, uh, Katrina and all the rest of it. If you're in a gigantic, enormous football stadium or some, if you prefer an open cave or something, a cave, if you're in a dark, darkened Superdome at nighttime and it's pitch black in there and you walk out to the 50-yard line and you put a birthday candle on the 50-yard line, you have illuminated the Superdome. You haven't illuminated it uh, terribly usefully, but you've illuminated it. And the light from that birthday candle has spread out to all of those walls and put light in there. And furthermore, anybody who's at the farthest distance from that can look down on that field and see that candle standing right out. And they can see it from very far away. And, and paradoxically and hopefully, uh, the darker it is, the easier it is to see the candle. There is, you cannot project darkness. There is not a darkness machine that you can turn on to make a room dark. Darkness is the absence of light. Light always illuminates an empty space and there's nothing that darkness can do to stop it. If you turn on a light, darkness automatically loses. Darkness has no power other than the absence of light, which is why all of the windows have to be papered up and that no light can get in. That's why they. That's why they turn me down. That's why they turn Zoe down. That's why they they they, they deplatform people, because the truth is so overwhelmingly, um, uh, overwhelmingly powerful, that the people who are fighting against the light understand how much work they have to do all the time. They have to do it all the time. And if we only understood that, then our problems would be over. We allow this to happen because we're afraid of what people think about us. Uh, anytime, you know, that we, that we don't stand up for ourselves, it's not because we're worried about being arrested or shot. It's, it's because we're worried about somebody saying something nasty about us, which isn't true. And that is an exceedingly unpleasant experience, believe me, exceedingly unpleasant. But ultimately, 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 I'm on the side of the light, you know? I'm not the light. I'm not the bearer of the light. I'm not any of those things. I'm just a guy who's just trying to just trying to tear some holes in the in the uh you know, in the the paper that they that they put up. Um All right, let's see here. Uh once again, I'm going to uh, I'm going to have to do my uh my uh rule of I'll try to get to every question but no two from the same person. So I got two back to back from Martin Archer. Let me just scan them real quick. Sorry. 
Um, I'm going to take uh, the exceedingly important question. And, I'll, and I will not read it verbatim. The question concerns whether or not uh, the forces of good should use uh, lethal force against uh, the forces of evil. Uh, and, and the argument is, and it's a good argument, let's just go with the tried and true, right? The tried and true. Uh, the thing that's such a hokey cliche that it's just simply not even thought about anymore. But if you could, if you could assassinate Hitler in 1933, would you be doing a moral good? Yes. But in 1933, you don't realize you, you, the, the atrocities haven't happened yet. There, okay, so look. There was a the, the the most successful attempt to kill Hitler was the um, was the bomb plot that uh, von Stauffenberg uh, put together, uh, the a Valkyrie Operation Valkyrie thing, and it consisted of of a number of people with the physical courage, uh, and uh, and most of you know the outlines of the story that uh, uh, the uh, Tom Cruise movie Valkyrie is about that story, but uh, in any event the the the, the essence of it is. A number of German officers decided that Hitler was destroying the country. It was in 1944, I want to say late 44, so we're already seeing the, the catastrophe that Hitler has brought the world. And so uh, a serious assassination attempt was made on his life, in addition to which these German officers had in place troops and mechanisms to immediately take over the government once it was announced that he was dead. Because all of the oaths that the German officers swore were oaths to Adolf Hitler personally. And Germans are very serious about that kind of thing. So I just go over this because it bears mentioning. Stauffenberg goes into the meeting. He's got one hand. Uh, he's lost an arm. Most of the fingers on his other hand. He's lost an eye. He was strafed by Allied aircraft in the, in, uh, in the desert. And um, he goes in with a briefcase that has uh, two bombs in it. Um, and uh, one of them he arms, and I think he took the other one with him and hit it and threw it out the window. That sounds like it's right. I'm getting the basics of it correct, whether I get the details wrong. Uh, so uh, 20th of July, 1944. Thank you, Ray. Um, so Hitler is in... Um, He's in his headquarters in, in East Prussia. Was that the Wolf's Lair? I think it was. He wasn't in Berlin and he wasn't in Berchtesgarten. He was in this, in this forward headquarters in East Prussia, which was completely surrounded by trees and rings and rings of guards. Stauffenberg was a trusted staff officer. He brings the bomb in. Now, originally, Hitler was going to be in a concrete bunker. That's where they usually held the meetings. But particularly that day, it was either too warm or something. So instead of being in a concrete bunker, they, um, they decided to have it in this wooden structure because it got a little more air. The reason that's significant is because if it had been a concrete bunker, then the explosive power would have been kept inside there, it would have blown out the sides of the building, it would have blown out the sides of Hitler. So Stauffenberg comes in, he puts the briefcase on the floor, what he doesn't realize is 
that Hitler is sitting on the other side of this. It's a heavy wooden table. And instead of a leg of a table, it's like, it's got a wooden, like a wooden, you know, almost like a beam or something. So Stauffenberg puts the bomb on this side of the of this heavy piece of wood. And then he says, I'll be right back. And he gets out, gets in the car, boom. Hears and sees this big boom, lies to the guy at the gate. The whole place has been shut down. Basically pretends to be talking to Hitler. Gets away. He was eventually caught in Berlin and was eventually um, uh, uh, executed right immediately. Okay. Now that was, that, that's what actually happened. Um, the wooden structure that Stauffenberg had put his suitcase on the other side of was strong enough to save Hitler's life. A number of people were killed in that, and a number of other people were badly, badly wounded. Hitler had his clothes essentially shredded on him. In fact, he showed them to Mussolini, who was due to arrive, I think, that day. He ruptured an eardrum, and he developed a tick in his arm that he never got over, but he survived it because of that placement of the briefcase. If that wooden thing hadn't been there, Hitler would have died. Uh, tragically enough, if he had not taken the other bomb out and left it in there, the explosion of the first bomb would have exploded the second bomb, and that would have killed all of them too. Uh, Mythbusters did a, I think it was Mythbusters, virtually positive, did a really great segment on this. They showed what would have happened to Hitler if that wooden thing hadn't been there with one bomb, and then they showed what would have happened to Hitler if it had been there and they had two bombs. But in any event, he got by. So the question is, was von Stauffenberg morally justified in doing what he was doing? Uh, yes. Um, yes. I think there's no question about that. So now the question is, are we justified in taking that kind of action against the people that are destroying this country? And my answer to that is, I can only give you my gut reaction, which is no. Uh, no. Um, the reason um, that I say no is because if you are going to deviate from moral behavior in order to win a fight with people who are fighting dirty, you had better be damn sure about what deviations you are taking and what the way out of those deviations are. When you start down the path of saying that this murder is justified, you are almost all the way to hell. The reason that I think Stauffenberg was justified in doing this was that the amount of murder that had been committed already was more than enough justification to stop the murderer. We're not at anything like that point yet, and when people say Trump is Hitler, I say, yeah, precisely identical, except for the 50 million dead people. Um, so, uh, so I, I think the answer is no. Um, Justin Whitless says it's not only wrong, it doesn't work. Uh, that may or may not be true. Uh, the big question, of course, is if Hitler had been killed in youth or if he'd been killed even in the 30s, would, would Nazism have happened? Something would have happened. Hitler, there was no Nazi party without Hitler. Hitler basically created it out of thin air. Um, but if Hitler had just been hit by a truck, 
the turmoil and all of the anger and all of the rage and the Versailles reparations, all that stuff, that doesn't just go away if Hitler goes away. Something ugly was brewing there, and he used it uh, effectively. Uh, and I suspect somebody else would have. Now, um, Thomas uh, Schreiber says losing with integrity is still losing, and I agree with that um, position. I have said many times that when you're fighting with an enemy that has no rules, you either fight with no rules or you um, lose. And if you lose, then there's no... Uh, if the good people are lying dead because they played by the rules, then then that's your end result and the, and the bad guys win. Um, so we're, so this is obviously a big contradiction, right? It's a contradiction in what I say and it's a contradiction in what I believe. Uh, and I have to examine this and 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 I come to the conclusion that we are dealing with a, a, a question of scale, right? It is in fact spectrum. You can make a case that certain individuals have been murdered uh, by the, the people in power in the uh, government of the United States. And whether that's true or not, certainly the trend is to put together the machinery of something that looks like it's designed for that kind of thing. But there is no, there is no mass murder being committed by progressives. Uh, and so, in my opinion, uh, there's no justification for for violent response. And the only justification for a violent response is for open, systematic, widespread violence. And now it's a question of self-defense. And there you have it in a nutshell, really. That's really it, right? Self-defense is, is, is the only morally uh, acceptable form of lethal violence. And when a policeman shoots a criminal, assuming that it was a justified shooting, that is a case of society using mortal violence to defend itself. Um, so... Um, when our political enemies become instruments of state-sponsored murder, then you have to then you have to ask yourself whether you're going to defend your life or or, or, or not. Uh, but we're not there yet, and I hoping we're not going to get there and I suspect we won't get there because because of the fact that for the first time ever the victims are heavily armed and outnumber the the, the oppressors and the murderers by you know I don't know several thousand to one so I don't think it's going to come to that um, and that actually complicates things you know to be honest with you uh, I, I just don't see any possible world where the government comes in kicks down people's doors and takes families away at nighttime. As I said in either the last show or the show before it, if they do that all at once, then that is the Lexington Concord shot, and then, then, and then, the, then the people's rights to bear arms to defend themselves becomes activated. They don't want that because they know they can't win that. Um, and if they pick us off one by one, which they certainly can do, you know, somebody comes to, if I, if I, wake up tomorrow and there's, or, or later tonight, because they like to come at night, you know, and there's 16, uh, you know, Los Angeles 
department police cars outside and, and, and guys with guns leveled at me and saying, you're under arrest, I'm not going to run to the AR-15 that I had before the, the tragic accident and start firing on them. I'm going to, I'm going to go downtown. Um, now, that's not true forever, but it's true for tonight. Uh, and it's a strange thing to be able to say that something that serious is, is based on uh, situational uh, ethics, um, but that's really what it is. Assassination and violence and murder is unjustifiable unless you are and 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 unless you and the 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 victims that you are a part of are also being murdered and we're not being murdered so i am 100% against it this guy who ran over that republican that guy needs to go to jail for the rest of his life he's he's going to get 10 years uh and I think the maximum is 20. He's going to get 10 because he's, he's had a previous DUI, and there's no question he did it. Plus, it's in North Dakota, which means there's some, some chance that it's still going to have some rule of law behind it. But that's how civilization deals with threats while there's still a civilization. If they see, see this, is the, this is the great paradox for them, and one of the best pieces of good news out there for us is if society descends into utter anarchy, it's the conservatives that are going to be fine. We're the ones that know how to grow our own food. We're the ones that are ready to defend ourselves, defend our family. We're the ones. If law goes away, it's the liberals who are going to be the ones who are not going to be able to do anything. You know? They're just not. The cities are going to turn into they're going to turn into the kind of apocalypse thing that, 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 the, that the Walking Dead would, would just doesn't even begin to cover. So we are in the trouble we're in because we're so far away from actual trouble, physical violence. We, 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 I don't need to get into the whole thing again with the whole amygdala thing again. But to answer the question of whether or not uh, political violence is... is is necessary to stop the people that are destroying this country. My answer is no, it's not, and and uh, and 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 it will remain uh, immoral for me. Yes, I remember Ruby Ridge, all of this stuff. I know all of that. I know and 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 Epstein, all the rest of it, and the and the, the six people. I mean, the people on January sixth, all of that. I get that. That's not the same as as state decreed institutionalized murder against individuals who are simply walking down the street. I'm not saying it's not going to get there. I'm just saying it's not there now, and, and so there's your answer for you. You never, if you're dealing with people, if you take care, if you're dealing with people who, who don't play by the rules, you you will have to not play by the rules to defend yourself and right now 
what we're defending ourselves against are things like YouTube algorithms. And that's really all I know how to tell you. So uh, that's the oppression that I'm facing right now. I'm getting fewer views on YouTube than I used to get. Does that justify shooting somebody? Not to me, especially since I signed up for this in the first place, since I agreed to the terms of service. You know, I'm as complacent in this as anybody else is. Uh, now, when you hire 87,000 IRS agents and, and require, or not require, at least say part of the job requirement may be that you need to carry a gun, then, you know, we'll cross that, we'll, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But until then, um, we're being defeated with ideas and we're being defeated with uh, psychology. And so that's the weapons that we fight back with. Now, that said, I have no problem with, with really upping the pace and the intensity and the uh, lethality of our mimetic fight. In other words, while I'm against 100% uh, against uh, political violence, certainly at this point, I do think our rhetorical violence needs to be ratcheted up with a gigantic wrench. And this is why uh, the stuff that Abbott and DeSantis are doing is so brilliant. I got sidetracked as usual off of this, but you know, there's, there is an enormous amount of power in the governors. I don't know why the Republican governors do not act as a unified political force. We have most of the governorships in this country. And the problem is, is that too many of them are still in the in the world that, you know, Mitt Romney was in, which is, if I'm nice to them, they'll be nice to me. No, this is, this is war to the death. The reason DeSantis is so effective in Abbott too, the reason that, the, the reason that they're sending these these refugees to the asylum cities is because it's dawned on both of them that they are never going to be treated fairly anyway, and they're not afraid of being seen as bad guys. So they're fighting back, and they're winning. They're winning bigly. And this is the thing that each one of us has to struggle with. What are we willing to do to fight back bigly? It's, it seems to me that the limiting factor is we don't want to be thought of badly. We don't want people to say mean things about us. You know, they're, that's not particularly ennobling uh, as an excuse. That's what I would say. Uh, let's see. George Friedland. Apparently, the Canadian government's been continuing its efforts to financially deplatform and blacklist citizens involved in the Freedom Convoy. What should the next POTUS do to address human rights violation in the Anglosphere? Um, I think that I think that uh, the only effective thing that you can do to affect other countries is uh, is give them a sterling example. Give them an example that's so luminous that uh, that the people of the other countries begin to take notice. What does that look like? If I am elected, if I was elected as president of the United States, I would make it my first order of business to fire the head of every department in the United States federal government, fire their deputies. I would get, I understand these are not military organizations, 
But if you look at, 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 an, at a bureaucracy as if it were a military, I'd fire all the generals, and I'd be tempted to fire all the colonels as well. I would not touch the majors, but somewhere, somewhere in there, somewhere at that level, I would do it. And, um, and to the extent that people would say, well, these agencies would be crippled, I'd say, well, that's just a, that's just a lucky side effect. That's just a, an intentional bonus. Um, we, uh, I'd fire all of them and, and I would make no exceptions. That's important. I'd make no exceptions. This is the thing when you're dealing with moral arguments, uh, when, when you're being attacked for being, you know, white supremacists or you're being attacked on moral basis. When you respond, you gotta, you gotta not only have the moral high ground, you gotta be consistent on it. To that degree, I think it's really important that Abbott and, um, DeSantis do not send refugees any place other than the places that have openly declared themselves sanctuary cities. I think if you if you step outside of that box, you're all of a sudden in grave danger. Sending them to places that have declared themselves as sanctuary cities is genius. If you start imposing that on people who haven't done that virtue signaling, now you're um, you're you know you're in trouble. Uh, Swamp, which says we need a president who will follow the Constitution. Yeah, the problem with that is that it's not a question of following the Constitution. Uh, James Comey doesn't follow the Constitution. Uh, James Comey is is acting was acting fully aware of what the Constitution says and acting in contravention of it. It's not a question of not knowing what the law is. It's not a question of following the law. It's a fall. It's the, the problem is dealing with people who know full well what the law is and in many cases are responsible for enforcing that law and who simply are on the other side. Those are the, those are the problems, right? That's the issue. All of it, all of it. I, I, I look, there's lots and lots of ways out of this. And I am encouraged by things, highly encouraged by things like seeing the shift in Hispanic voters uh, only because they've been told their whole lives that Republicans are evil, but, but the things that they're seeing the, the Democrats doing to their own lives and their own children, and these are moral things rather than legal or, or economic things, they're moving in large numbers. This is another advantage that we have. It's like being on the side of light. The Democratic Party needs to get 80 to 85% of the black vote or else they never win again ever. And we do not know how to, when I say we, I mean the Republican Party does not know how to do it. I know how to do it. I could do it with a, in a weekend. Uh, go to black churches and, and listen to them. Talk to people and listen to them and, and have the courage to go in there and listen to them. But we don't. We don't. We either write them off, like, oh, I'll never get that vote anyway, or, you know, we just, we just do what we do. Um, that's one of the things about, uh, the, and, and Trump did it once or twice, and, and he should have been doing it all the time. I mean, he should have been doing it all the time. During his presidency, he should have been doing it once a month. Uh, how about spreading power out of D.C.? The prophet Brady says, yes, this is a grand idea. The, the, Washington was never the most important city in this country until Obama was elected. But you got to, but in order to get the government dispersed, you got to, you got to have the government. You got to, you got to, 
you've got to have the Congress and the presidency to create the laws to disperse the government. And if you don't, now you're outside the law. And that's the whole other story, which was what we talked about just a minute ago. Um, all right, I've got a, a bunch to go. Um, uh, Joe R. Yeah, we're coming up on four hours here. Uh, Joe R. Um, bring back the gold standard and ban any forms of digital currency that isn't backed up by physical currency and the Fed and all direct taxes and repeal the 16th and 17th amendments. Amen, period. I mean, that's that's all it takes. And at the same time, how hard is that going to be? You know, that's a monumentally difficult thing to do, given how off the rails the system is. But that's, the, the, I mean, there it is, man. You know, he put a period there. It's two sentences. Could have done it with a semicolon or a comma even. One sentence. Problem solved. Over. Problem over. That's it, really. Gold standard, make money worth money again. You can't print money. If you can't print money, you can't just give it away for free. Every dollar that you give to somebody has to come from somebody else. Now you've got representation. You don't get to take money from people before they get to touch it, which is the 16th Amendment. The reason the government spends $4 trillion a year is because the people who earn those taxes never get to touch that money. It's removed from their paycheck before they get it. If you got paid $600 a week and, and your take-home pay is $420, you say, oh, okay, well, we got 420 to live on. But if you had a $600 check and then you had to write that 180 back every every week, we wouldn't be in this situation. It's simple psychology, simple psychology, which is apparently what's happened with the gas prices. Gas prices go to $7. My God, let's throw Biden out of office. Now they're down to five. Oh, well, I guess he's doing a good job. There's some evidence that that kind of thing is happening. And, and that's really crazy, but yes, um, uh, Carlos says our economy is too large for a gold standard, should be an energy standard or a work good standard. It needs to be whatever the standard is, is it needs to be something that cannot be arbitrarily increased. It is something the supply of which should should be legally locked into the the, the growth or the contraction of the GDP. I understand that that you cannot have an economy worth trillions of dollars with only millions of dollars of money in circulation. I get that. Um, but since money is not connected to any tangible asset, you print as much of it you want to. Uh, I don't know enough about, I almost said I don't know enough about economics. That actually is a, um, that's a, that's a benefit as far as finding a solution goes. But whatever it is, it needs to be something that is not only not something that you can print, you can't print gold. It's also something that in order for people to have confidence in the money supply, it has to be something that is redeemable, right? Money has value. Let's go back to before they got rid of the gold standard. The reason a dollar was the reason people say it's sound as a dollar is be, it's not because the dollar was the, the money of the United States government and hooray, what great people they are. The reason the dollar was, was universally recognized as, as, as solid money was on any given day, I could take a dollar bill and go and get a dollar's worth of gold for it. I didn't have to because I could. 
that's why that's why it was valuable not just because it was pegged to the gold standard but because you could actually go and get gold if you wanted to and the reason that you didn't would be because it's inconvenient to carry a whole ton of gold around with you every day as long as you could go and get it you didn't have to but once you divorce those things and you start printing as much money as you want to then people lose faith in the money. So they're trying to get us to lose faith in the money, they're trying to get us to lose faith in law, faith in government, faith in everything. This is what the, this is what the assault is. And and the entire point of what I've been saying this evening, and I think you know what, despite my promise to get through all of them, I'm just done. I'm sorry. It's 4 hours and I'm and I'm really feeling it. And this is a great place to wrap it up. So I'll bring them back next week and I'll start with those. This ongoing campaign to get us to to lose faith in law money science uh, elections is powered by our own acquiescence i come back to this again and again and again there is not a gun to our heads we are not up against a wall we're not complying in order to save our lives or the lives of our families what is the psychological lever that's allowing this to happen? I have a good idea that it's an ingrown sense of people's, not ingrown, their innate sense of decency, that people want to do the right things. They don't want to be racist. They don't want to, they don't want to be uh, racist. They don't want to be unfair to minorities. They don't, want to, they don't want to do anything immoral or wrong. And you can manipulate the hell out of people that way by telling them that if you do this, it's immoral or wrong, and then they'll stop doing it. You don't need guns with people who are honest. You can just tell them if you do this, that's a dishonest thing. They'll stop doing it on their own accord. This is the fight that we're in, right? They're not coming for our guns. They're coming after our consciences. They're coming after our, 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 our morality, our decision-making ability. They are setting up a set of false choices that, that make us not only accessories to our own enslavement, but, but the mechanism of it, you know? And this is why um, this is why we're here. Uh, you and me, we're here because of that. So uh, that is made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com. And uh, for those of you who are members, you have my uh, undying gratitude, especially for the lapses and the you know irregularities and unevenness of the output. I'm just doing my best here, uh, but. In any event, uh, thank you for for everything, and um, and we'll be back Monday night uh, with uh, Stratosphere Studios. And um, starting next week, I will uh, I will try this idea of you know maybe I'll do I'll pick a topic. Maybe I'll do four or five minutes on it live, and then I'll then I'll sit down with Premiere Pro and I'll just cut it to get it under a minute. That's um, it's worth a try. We'll see what happens. Uh, and, I, and I did a show called Time Over Target where I had three minutes and I managed to end the sentence on the, and it was never more than a second off, but this I can do in the editing. Anyway, you get the idea. Uh, we were looking at uh, being live for four, so it was a four hour recorded show, something like that. That's plenty of time. 209 viewers on, on YouTube uh, and um, 64 on uh, Twitch. Now some of those are 
duplicates, but that's a big number compared to, I mean, when it was just Twitch, we were usually around 60 or 70, so we're going to keep doing it. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. We are going to win by God. Yes, we are. We're going to win by God. Let's not forget uh, what Abraham Lincoln, one of the worst presidents who ever lived, said when he was on the train station in Springfield on the way to, and by the way, for those of you who didn't catch the earlier part of the show, that was me being ironic. Uh, when Lincoln was on the train station and, and being wished well by his relatives and friends whom he would never see again, they said, Abe, you know, you're going to be up against a real tough fight there. You know, Abraham Lincoln had to sneak into Washington. And he said, um, well, uh, without God's help, I cannot succeed. And with it, I cannot fail. What else do you need to know? Right? You can substitute truth if you want for that. Substitute whatever you want to, but God works pretty well. If, if, if you're on the side of right and righteousness, then you cannot fail. And if you aren't, then you cannot succeed. So, yeah. Uh, there's, the, there's the question of the night from uh, TAPS556. The show's four hours because of inflation. You used to get a three-hour or a two-hour uh, stratosphere lounge, but that was before Joe Biden took over and prices went nuts. So now you have to do, a, I have to do a four-hour show to give you your two hours worth of, uh, of value and things go the way they're going to be going. It's going to be like I could, uh, you know, go home and sleep for two hours and be on the air the rest of the time. You get the idea. Okay. Um, that'll do it uh, for this edition of the Stress Free Lounge made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com. It's been fun getting to both streams at the same time. I will now start to build out the structure so that we have a little more control over this and we get some hardware and all the rest of it, but uh, you get the general idea. So anyway, thanks for being with us, and uh, we will see you next time right here. Push the button, Frank. <laughs>